to the podcast that brings a new guest in every week behind the bench to talk about their hockey influences, their hockey journey, their hockey stories. It's Behind the Bench with Neil Francis. I'm Gareth Hewish, and I'm joined as always by Mr. John Donovan. John, how are you, sir? Um, I'm good, guys. I'm a little tired. Boy, that guy can talk. The only episode we've ever done is <laughs> with two full days, but uh, hopefully it was worth it. I had a birthday. Yeah. <laughs> We're out of lockdown. Most clean shaven. <laughs> yeah. Now I look like Santa. That's why you've got to watch a YouTube version of this pod. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm joined by the man on the marquee, Mr. Neil Francis. Franny, how's it going? Hello, guys. How are you doing? Um, yeah, good engagement from the last one from uh, from Vez. You know, Vez told some great stories, and it, it also prompted uh, some other stories coming forward. So, big shout out to uh, Ricky and Martin Maloney, yeah. who, <laughs> who who got in touch and uh, sent me a couple of private messages about you know the big brutes that I talked about stopping Coventry going into the uh, into the rink. For the for the um, Challenge Cup final, I forgot that they lined up the stairs as well all the way, and they were all crowded on uh, on the bench, mm-hmm. and there was loads of them. And apparently, one of the um, it was Payet and somebody else um, questioned why there would why there was so many security needed around their bench because they didn't have much room to stand on the bench. And uh, the, the guy just turned around to them and said, shut the F up and play hockey. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and gave him like a stare. And I think one of the guy's names, I, I should have looked it up here and be more prepared, but it was something like One-Eyed Al or something like that. And that, <laughs> that, was, one, that was one of the guys. That was, yeah, that was one of the guys that he had on there. So he was there. Yeah, he was, uh, what was his name? Hang on, I'm going to look up his name. Um, uh, there was all... The next episode, though, wasn't it? We're having One-Eyed Al on. One-Eyed <laughs> Al. Yeah. I've got lots of questions for One-Eyed Al, and I only know his name. A lot of questions for One-Eyed Al. <laughs> Were yeah. they the little photographers? Because the photographers had, like, that all gap between the benches didn't they were they in there well, well no they they were right because you had the tunnel coming up the yeah, stairs yeah. and they were kind of encroaching onto the bench where and that's the where the door was that the players yeah, yeah. went in on the ice so they're kind of you can see the pictures and ricky shared it you know there's there's loads of them around there so there's not much room <laughs> at all and uh apparently um there were there might have been some stink bombs let off in that uh in that uh, dressing room or in and around it um, just to make things even worse for them. So uh, absolute, uh, absolute beauty stories from those. So, oh, One-Eyed Lee it was. Sorry, Lee, I got your name wrong. But uh, One-Eyed, if, if, one-eyed if you Lee. you put One-Eyed Lee together with One-Eyed Al, they made a perfect double act, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we'll have to track down One-Eyed Al, but One-Eyed Lee was, uh, was our boy there who, uh, who probably deserves... Um, a winner's medal more than I did that game. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say tip of the hat to, to you, producer Hubs, for uh, the outro for last week. There's some great footage uh, in that uh, YouTube presentation, especially Fez's story about that first goal in the Challenge Cup final and the build-up to it. Um, I could hear his story come through again when... Uh, I was watching that clip. So uh, thank you very much for all your hard work on that episode. Yeah. 
fantastic memory recall by Vez, by the way, on that, knowing that Wally iced, uh, Wall iced it and then they had to skate all the way back. You can see Vez chirp all the way yeah, back yeah. to the face-off dot as he did. And then, of course, he wins it. Bergie rims it. And, uh, yeah, Vez ends up putting a great pass onto Rems. And the bit I love about that goal is that in the process of shooting, Rems runs over one of the Coventry team. <laughs> <laughs> what a beauty. But, yeah, good work, Hubs. Top finds there. Yeah, trying to find some of what uh, Todd was talking about might prove a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> also, has great work on taking out 80% of the swearing as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were yeah. going to use a bleeper, but it turns out it would have just sounded like one of those broadcasts you get at the end of the night with a test card. But it was a fantastic episode from Vez and uh, it was great to speak to him and I sense there's plenty more stories in the tank. So I think there'll be another Vez episode down the road. All of our back catalogue uh, is available wherever you find your favourite podcasts. Um, and we'll also get to work on uploading them all uh, to YouTube as well. You can find us uh, at BTB Franny on Twitter. And as Franny alluded to, there's been some great stuff on the in the past week lots of people getting involved with memories and pictures and things so please give us a follow get interacting with us and uh, we can expand all the things we talk about on the podcast on our social media channels but guys uh, we've uh, got some business to attend to right now we uh, hear a lot from Mr. Todd Kelman about uh, his day-to-day operations with the devils and plenty of stories about how he came to Cardiff, but we've never had a chance to sit down and talk to him about where his hockey journey started and what the early days were like and coming to the UK. So I guess it's time to cross over to uh, our conversation with Todd Kelman about his hockey influences. And we are delighted to be joined by Cardiff Dells Managing Director, Mr. Todd Kalman. Todd, how are you, sir? I'm great. I'm so happy to finally be on the show. I've been waiting for a year and a half to be on this thing. <laughs> well, we've been oh, we ran out of gas, so it's good to have you, Todd. <laughs> I followed Vezio Sacratini. You guys went great guns with Scaldi, and, and then I had to wait a week because Vez got, came on, so... And after you yeah. get done editing that show, um, <laughs> this one's a little cleaner. Uh, it has got the most <laughs> Ofcom complaints of any podcast, even though Ofcom don't regulate podcasts. So <laughs> I'd like to thank Bez for his uh, artistry and swearing. On, on that note, guys, if I may, I'd, I'd like to thank you for being Oprah Winfrey tonight because Todd did try and silence me for a while and I had to take a break from the institution that was the car. <laughs> <laughs> You know, also, know, also known as the firm. Maybe that's a whole different episode, John. Maybe I should be asking the questions. Of <laughs> oh, that would be a good episode. Are we, are, uh, we, are we friends again, John? I, I well, you know. Well, there's I, the I pause. He hasn't said yes straight off the bat. Oh, All I'm saying is, I no, don't know. Of course. I'll pull together three or four pounds and send you over a six pack of Fosters to your house. <laughs> I see you're drinking the good stuff tonight. Well done. I'm living it high in my shed. <clears throat> well, you've got Hunter and Dancer looking over your shoulder right now. So. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm in my grotto. It's my, you know. All I want to know is who's paying my fee if I'm the Oprah in all of this, because I've uh, seen sight no sound of any of uh, those negotiations. We'll keep those for after the pod. Todd, let's go all the way back. I'll uh, test your memory and test your... <laughs> what, when you were growing up, were your hockey influences from your hometown? What was it that sparked your love and devotion to ice hockey at a young age? I think uh, it's very typical, I guess. Every Canadian probably has the same story, right? Like, they they started playing... It's, it's exactly... I, I remember John asked Scaldi, is it actually like that? Is it like what people talk about playing on outdoor rinks and and pond hockey and, and all that kind of stuff. That's exactly how it was for me. I lived, uh, I lived my house backed onto a, an outdoor rink. Um, I actually worked at the rink down the road. I had a, I had a, an ice rink probably, I don't know, half a mile from my house. I worked there growing up. I was a janitor and a rink rat. I actually used to take the Zamboni home from school, if you can believe that. So the Zamboni would drive by the rink and the guy, I knew him because I'd worked my summer job there and he would wave to me and I'd jump on the back of the Zamboni because he was going to flood the outdoor rink and my house was right next to the outdoor rink. So he would, he would literally drive me home. And, uh, and yeah, like a lot of late nights with the hose outside, my dad would be in charge of the initial flood for the, for the rink and all the dads in the neighborhood took their turn. And then when it got thick enough, the Zamboni would come over and, and start flooding it. Um, yeah, it was, it's it's very typical. It sounds like that Canadian postcard image that you see and, and hear about, but it's it's very very true. And I, I I think it's honestly probably the greatest childhood you could have is is growing if you like hockey is growing up in Canada. Oh, that that's super posh, isn't it? Having a zamboni to your outdoor rink. Not not everybody gets that. No, I don't think everyone has that. Our zamboni, <laughs> our zamboni actually also flood. This is how so so the lake that Steve King that you always see on Steve King playing hockey on the lake that he lives on. The other side of the lake is like the public, like he lives in the posh houses on the lake. And then the <laughs> rest of us, the rest of us had what it was called, like, you know, the lake pass where you actually got to, had to go through the public entrance. And so we all played hockey on that lake that Steve King. Um, on, on King Lake. On King Lake, as he likes to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the lake that I grew up, uh, that I grew up playing on. And, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, lots of guys that I grew up with, um, like that's that's our fondest memories. There's guys that you know played in this league. Like one of my best friends growing up was Sean Selmser. Who you guys probably remember the name. He played for Coventry for a year, but he played for Belfast for a little bit. Played for Glasgow when it was still air or something. But yeah, we grew up playing hockey on the lake together. Todd, how um you you told me uh, talking about Steve King and the King connection. You told me a, a story the other day because I was asking you about. Uh, the Olympics in 88, because, you know, I, I've still got all those on VHS, and I was talking to you about the big red machine and Igor Larionov, who, who basically is up there with Ripper Band as my favourite player, and obviously they were in Calgary. Um, and, oh, and you... good. Seven minutes into the podcast. Got... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Guys, it's a new record. Yeah, three minutes is. into my wedding vows, I mentioned him. <laughs> and Todd, I'm also impressed that you know the Ripper Band gag, because that means that you're a fan of the pod and an avid listener. I'm a huge yeah. podcast. I'm the guy. I'm the guy yeah. on the podcast. Anyway, <laughs> how, how big were those Olympics for you? And what's the Steve? What's what's the King family connection there? So so the, so Steve King. Uh, Steve King's father is Frank King, and Frank King is the legendary man who brought the Calgary 1988 Olympics to Calgary. And people don't know that about uh, maybe his family. And you ask Steve about it, and Steve's like, "Yeah, like my my 
my dad was missing for a number of years from my childhood because <laughs> because basically he was he was bringing the Calgary Olympics like and and that Olympics changed everything it changed everything for Calgary. Um, it was a smaller town, not a town, but you know, like a, a, the population exploded after the Olympics, and Frank uh, Frank revolutionized it. And and the thing is, I'm an Olympic nut, absolutely love the Olympics, and so Frank King was kind of a hero of mine, even though. As much as I knew Steve, I had never met Frank. And when I was in Belfast, Frank, uh, Frank and his wife, uh, Steve, met, Steve called me and said, "Hey, my dad and my mom are traveling around Ireland, and they'd love to. They're coming to Northern Ireland. They'd love to have dinner with you and, and Shauna, your wife." And and so I was like, "Yes, absolutely." And so when we're <laughs> heading out there, Shauna says to me, "Like, do not ask Frank about the Olympics. He's probably so sick of talking about the Olympics. Don't ask him about the Olympics. Promise him." I'm like, yeah, yeah, I won't say a word. And at the other time, like an hour into our conversation, or 10 minutes into our conversation, Frank tells me the story because we mentioned the Olympics. We start talking about it. And he said, you know what? My wife, when we were at the hotel said, whatever you do, don't bring up the Olympics. Everyone's, <laughs> everyone's sick of hearing you talk about the Olympics. And honestly, it was, pro it was probably more like three minutes into the conversation. I was just like, Frank, I got to say, I, I love the Olympics. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> On behalf of every Canadian. I'm so happy you brought it to Calgary. Changed my life. And um and those Olympics, they, they had, you, you could volunteer for the Olympics, right? And this is the big thing. They, they ran the, a good portion of it on volunteers. And if you were a kid, I was 13 at the time. And, uh, and my, my classmates, or my, not my classmates, my teammates and me, you could volunteer to clean up for the Olympics. So I got to work all the hockey games. And literally, I have a t-shirt that says, I cleaned up at the 1988 Winter Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all you got. And, and then you got a ticket to the closing ceremonies and everyone, every kid I knew cleaned up at the, at the winter Olympics. And if you were a figure skater, you cleaned up the, at the figure skating events. And for me and my buddies, we cleaned up at the hockey. We got to see, we got to do everything. We got to see Sweden and Russia and Canada and all the teams. It was, it was such an amazing experience. And Gaz, can I, sorry, can I ask one more Todd about your young hockey? Cause I was thinking about this today. Cause obviously I'm a football fan. I'm a Cardiff city fan. And the rivalry we've got with Swansea City, you know, people always think, oh, you want another Welsh club to do well. And I couldn't care if their stadium exploded and, and you know, they, they cease to exist. What, what was it like growing up for you? And, and, you know, you know me, there's a few parts to this question. What was it like growing up for you as a Flames fan in the 80s? And then when that Gretzky trade to Los Angeles in 88, when the whole of Canada was like mourning, were you the happiest guy ever that he'd left Edmonton? When Wayne Gretzky got traded to the Los Angeles Kings. I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if I ever liked Wayne Gretzky before that moment. And, and that's like, that's like not liking Sidney Crosby right now. Like Wayne Gretzky is a God in Canada. Right. And, but because he played for Edmonton, like Edmonton and Calgary are three hours away from each other at, for the, for 10 years, they were, they were, you know, probably, well, probably for seven years in a row, they were the two best teams in the NHL. And basically, whoever won that Battle of Alberta went on to the Stanley Cup Finals, at least. And and unfortunately, the Oilers were were it. And um, and yeah, I was so I, I I was one of those fans that like every time Gretzky got the puck in Calgary, I'd be booing him and calling him a whiner and whiner Gretzky and all this kind of stuff, everything. And then we got traded to LA. You start to appreciate how good he is. And I, like I am a huge Gretzky fan. I would list him as like my top three players, but. Not until, not until 1988, 89. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and I remember in, in 1986, uh, a rookie defenseman named Steve Smith mm -hmm. for the Edmonton Oilers 
he shot the puck coming out like he was behind the net. He takes a I step out. He tries to make a, a, an outlet pass. He hits the back of his goalie's pad, scores on his own net to put the flames. The flames win the series on the goal. And that's how we advanced past the Oilers. And it was a, like the, the Oilers had won back-to-back Stanley Cups. They were rolling. They, they didn't win it at 86. They won two more of the years after that, all because of that goal. The poor guy. I, I mean, I still like to watch it about once a year just to remind me how great <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it's funny because I, I don't know if I could ever I I was so passionate about that and th- and I always relate that when I'm thinking of fans now like I hated Edmonton it, it, and and now I quite like the I quite like watching the Oilers because I I can respect how good they are and how fun they are and and I've been to games in Edmonton and it's a great atmosphere but man did I hate them I really did. And what was '89 like? Because because you know we're going to go on to talk about it, but there's the iconic. Theo Fleury celebration when he goes on his knees and what have you, and then eight and nine winning the cup and Lanny McDonald. Yeah, my, my final question on this. Sorry, guys. What, what, you're you're in a, it's it's like Cardiff City winning the European Cup. You're, you're in the town where Calgary or the city where Calgary wins the Stanley Cup. What was that like? Honestly, it's it's terrible to say. I've had some great things happen in my life. I have two wonderful kids, a wonderful wife. It's still probably top five days of my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love, like, I remember we had, uh, I remember where I was. I remember where I was watching it. I didn't know what to do because I'm 14. I'm not drinking or anything, but I just thought I got to, I got to go. I got to get outside and I go downtown and wave a flag. And, and, uh, and my sister and her husband or her boyfriend at the time probably was probably with Steve and they were downtown probably cheering and drinking their faces off. And I, I went downtown and, and walked around and just was happy to be part of it. And, um, I have the Lanny McDonald mustache for, for people that follow the NHL. Lanny McDonald had this huge red mustache. They were handing them out at train stations. Uh, I, I went to the Stanley cup parade. I, I made a sign that said McDonald for mayor, like Lanny McDonald for mayor. I got really close to the front. Um, I saw my favorite player, Thurin Flurry, who I absolutely loved. Um, I was like one of those kids. I knew all the, like the thing with flames fans, they're so into their hockey we, we always, like my generation, we talk about the players like we knew them. Like we don't call them by their names. We call them by their nickname. And and I, I, I yelled up and I was like, hey, Chopper. And Chopper was Al McInnes. He, he won the Conn Smythe that year. And I just, I still, still to this day, I think how dumb that was. <laughs> hey, Chopper. <laughs> and he probably thought, who the hell is this kid calling me by my nickname? We all, we all knew all their nicknames. We just loved them. So. And obviously, third player, I got to play with years later. I'm sure we'll touch on that, but great experience. And, and that's why, like, that's why I appreciate being a fan. I can appreciate what people go through. And I can appreciate when, you know, we win the Challenge Cup or we lose the Challenge Cup, the emotions that people feel. I, I love it. I love being a hockey fan. And it's the only sport I can try to like football. I can try to like baseball as much. Nothing. I, I, I will never like anything the way I like hockey. I really won't. And Todd, is it true ever since you've been a GM, you've been looking for a player with a big red handlebar mustache just so you can hand out uh, <laughs> mustaches? Just waiting, just waiting for it. Every good redhead I've signed, as you've noticed, you're up in Well, the search goes on. I'm, uh, I'll be a happy man when you find him. It's a spot for JD. Yeah, you could grow one. Look at that thing. You could grow it. Oh, yeah. Live on <laughs> So Todd, you know, you, you're growing up in this amazing sporting atmosphere, the Olympics, Calgary winning the Stanley Cup. How did your uh, 
playing style formed during this time? What what was it about defence that kind of drew you to that position? Were you always a defenceman? Like, talk us through that process of becoming Todd Kelman, the hockey player. I don't know. I I I was. Uh, I know Scaldi said he was a goalie for his first year. I was a goalie <laughs> for the first game, and I hated it. Um, I was four years old. I played for the the Bonavista Type B uh, Flyers. Back then you played house league, so every team was named after an NHL team. I was on the Flyers, and I think I was four years old. And uh, so because I w- played goalie the first game, that's the number you got for the year. So my first year of hockey, I played out as a defenseman wearing number one. And I was so <laughs> mad. I still to this day, this is me off. They kept me in one the whole year. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> so embarrassing. But, uh, but yeah, that's... Um, yeah, and uh, I, I don't know. I don't remember ever playing four. I remember always playing defense. And my dad, my dad was probably the biggest influence. He coached me pretty much my whole life. And, uh, and I mean, it's funny because when you grow up in Canada, like we, we always talk, like me and Lord always talk about, we're like, there is no hockey player that made pro hockey at any level whose dad wasn't a crazy hockey dad. Like, you know, like you, nowadays, like I go to watch my kids play rugby and I try to be the calm dad. Like, I don't, I don't want to be the one running down the sidelines and you look at the ones running down the sidelines and their kids are the best athletes <laughs> are all over them. And like, I never thought my dad was overbearing at all. I loved it. I loved every second of it. And we fought, we yelled at each other. My dad used to like, after dinner, you know, like the, we'd, we'd clean up the dishes and then he'd, he'd like pull, pull away the, the tablecloth and he'd draw a rink on the on the on the table and we had like chalk talks about like what I had to do um and then when eventually when when I when he stopped coaching me I probably was like once it got got at a at a kind of like a top level he obviously stopped coaching me and and he he wanted to develop a way of communicating with me without the coach really knowing right like so he did he wanted to be able to like <laughs> still be a, a hockey dad and communicate with me with what he thought I should be doing rather than maybe what the coach should so he developed an intricate series of hand signals <laughs> that only the, only the two of us knew, right? And, and so my dad would stand in the corner, like he, he, my, my mom and maybe my brother, maybe my sister would be up watching from the stands and my dad would be in the corner with a couple of the other hockey dads and my dad would be like, <laughs> that, would mean, that would mean, get your head up, get two hands on the stick, play a little tougher and get your feet moving. And so I, I would tell my friends about this, right? And Colin Ward, who I played with in Belfast, who is a very funny person, he, when he met my dad, he's like, hey, Ross, how you doing? <laughs> well, the, the, last, the last story I heard like that was ended up with uh, Mike Danton shooting his agent. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> It's funny because I think when you talk to like, like you talk to any of my family, they think poor Todd, you know, like poor Todd, dad must've been, it must've been really hard. I loved it. Like I thought it was hilarious and I loved it. I loved that Someone like, I loved having my dad coach me. I loved that he was involved. He used to, so you got to remember I, I lived at this or I worked where we, where we lived. I worked at this rink, right? Like I was 12 or 13, but the, that's the rink that we played out of. And Steve, I mean, me and Lord have been on that ice with Steve and his son Carter because um, Steve lives literally like five, probably a 50 second walk from from the rink that I grew up at and um, and my dad like like would would be pissed off as a coach he'd send me off the ice and send me home he'd be like go home 
get your shit off and go home. And I'd be like, go home. And he's like, walk home. And he would make me walk home in the middle of winter. And I'd get home and my mom would be like, aren't you supposed to be at a game? And I'd be like, no, dad sent me home. And, and <laughs> it happened all the time. And he was like a hard, so my, my, I, sh- I won't talk just about my dad, but he, in our basement, we have a water bottle that's, that's like, it's like stuck to a plaque and it's, and it's, um, it's like a, a plaque that the parents presented to him when we were, I think, seven years old, because he threw the water bottle so many times at referees. Now, <laughs> bear in mind, bear in mind, when you're when you're seven, you're being refereed by like 13-year-olds in Canada, right? <laughs> so, there were games that I'm sure my brother was refing that my dad was screaming at the ref, like calling him out, <laughs> possibly throwing a water bottle at him. But that, that stuff would all that stuff that would get coaches suspended nowadays in minor sports. My dad did it all, and I and we loved it. My and my friends will see my dad still, and they'll be like, "Hey, hey, Mr. Kelman, hey, Coach Kelman," because they they loved it. They loved that he was so intense. So we also won pretty much every game, which was good. So, so anyways, that's probably my biggest influence. He'll probably if he can figure out how to use uh, YouTube, he'll probably watch us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're gonna have a crash course. We'll work it out. So, Tom, where was your junior uh, career just before you go to college? Where, where were you playing at this time and, and what kind of level were we talking? So I played um, So I, I played midget AAA, which is like the top level when you're 15, 16, 17 years old. And um, I played there for a year. And then instead of playing my second year there, I went and played in British Columbia. So I moved away from home to play junior in a town called Vernon for the Vernon Lakers at the time. They became the Vernon Vipers, which is where Andrew Lord, Tyson Strachan, a few, a few of the devils over the years. Have played. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so I, I played in Vernon, probably one of the funnest years of my life. Um, well, half a year of my life, I guess. I, um, yeah, it was, it was great. So I was 17. Um, it was my draft year. It was the year before I was going to go to university and um, I loved it. Like Vernon this beautiful town in British Columbia. I lived on, I, li- I lived on this big acreage outside of town on the side of a mountain. Uh, we used to hitchhike to school. Like that's, that's how old school Canadian was. You talk about hockey rings. We would hitchhike to school. We would just go down the road and thumb down a car and they would drop you off at school. And then coming home from school, same thing. You'd, you'd get a, you just thumb someone down and no issues ever. No one locked the doors, just, Great life, great, great place to great place to play hockey. So that reminds me, my kid's not home yet. Um, <laughs> so, so Todd, you mentioned Al McInnes. So you, you, you know, you hate it when I say this, but you know, it's an age where maybe there's less size defensemen, but better skating, puck moving defensemen like Al McInnes, like Paul Coffey, like I guess Brian Leach with the Rangers. Are you starting to be influenced by by guys like them? My, my favorite players growing up, my two favorite defensemen growing up were, uh, I loved Paul Coffey um, once he went to Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh actually was, was my favorite team uh, because of Coffey. I didn't like him when he was with the Oilers. Um, and Scott Stevens is my all-time favorite player. Um, I actually have, if you look, so you won't be able to tell, but there's, so I've got my favorite picture is the one of us, Franny, when we won the Challenge Cup, right? You see it? I'm in the, I'm in the office, by the way. And then next to it, is when uh, when they retired my jersey in Belfast, I don't know how they got it, but they got a message from Scott Stevens for me, and uh, and a picture of him getting his jersey retired, and he like wrote like, you know, it's always nice getting your your jersey retired, your friend Scott Stevens, and I'm not I'm not an I'm not a 
I'm not a memorabilia fan or an, or, a, or a hound for autographs, but yeah, I, I love that one. I got a little giddy over that one. So Scott Stevens is, yeah, he's my favorite. And, and do you want to know how I got him to be my favorite? I waited out line for autographs. I was waiting to meet Brett Hall, right? So Brett Hall was playing for uh, St. Louis. And I waited and waited after an exhibition game in Calgary because you used to basically go to the Flames games and then you'd wait outside for players, like for two hours if you had to. And I was waiting for Brett Hall and, and he kind of, he came out and he blew me off and uh, kind of a dick. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and Scott Stevens was like, Hey man, don't worry about it. And he signed my, he signed my, uh, my hat and stuff. And so that right there, he was, he was my favorite. And then, and then, yeah, then I kind of followed him, went to New Jersey, New Jersey became my favorite team. So uh, I loved the devils growing up. I love the flames always, but I was, I, I had years of loving Pittsburgh and then I loved the devils for a number of years too. So. So George, you mentioned they, um, you'd already kind of made your mind up during this time of Vernon that college was going to be your next stop. Um, was it always a, a big plan of yours to, to get that education foundation along with hockey? Was it all about options for you yeah. at this time? Yeah. Like when I went to Vernon, I could have gone to like the WHL and most of my friends went to the WHL, which is like Canadian junior. And, and uh, I think everyone I knew at the time was going to the WHL. And I, I chose to go to Vernon just because I, wa I wanted the education also like for, I, I was, dra I was drafted into the, into the, the WHL, the Western hockey league to the Prince Albert Raiders, which for me, wasn't an ideal situ situation. <laughs> I didn't, I'd never been to, to that part of Saskatchewan before. And, and I just, I went and I went to main camp and, and um, you know, like the, back then I don't, I, I'm assuming the rule is still the same. If you play one game, you lose your college eligibility. You're, you so you can't go to the NCA if you play one regular season game. So they're really pushing to play for, to play a game. Cause then once, once that you play a game when you're like 15 or 16 years old, that's it. You can't go to college anymore. And I think that's changed now. Maybe, maybe you can play like five or something, but, yeah, they really pushed for it. And I, I kept saying, no, I, you know, I, I would have stayed if I'd been guaranteed that I'd be there for the year. But um, I think it's, I, it has to have changed because it used to be kind of a sneaky trick. If they got you to play a couple of games, you're, you're, you're set, you know, then you can go back and come back a couple of years later, but I never played in Prince Albert. I didn't like it. And, and, um, and so that's why I went to Vernon originally, but I, I always had this idea of going to university. I didn't think I'd be able to probably afford university if I didn't, um, if I didn't, um, get a scholarship. And, and I had a couple, couple buddies and my brother who, uh, who went to university and, and just, they said, it's just like, it's life-changing. It's it, you, there, there's nothing better. There's no better experience than going away to university. So I'm, I'm really happy with the choice. It, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, but I was gonna, I was going to tell you guys, but I told John about this the other day, I think, I don't know, um, about the time in Vernon. So, so I, when I was in Vernon, I was, uh, I actually broke my back. I was one of those kids that got like injured and I got injured playing hockey and I was, I, my season was done. It was, uh, it was like, it was my mom's birthday. It was like February 5th. So, uh, and, uh, yeah, I broke my back and, and got kind of blindside hit. And I was at this rink in Chilliwack, which where I think, I think Lordo's parents live in Chilliwack and, and the boards, it was an old rink and the boards were cemented into the ground. So the boards and the glass, like the glass came out like this. And instead of the glass being on the boards about that much of a, of a lip, the lip was like a foot. And I got blindsided after I made a pass and my spine kind of bounced down it. And I broke, I broke three vertebrae 
And luckily, wow. thank God, my, 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 um, my sister's mother-in-law, who was like the head of trauma nurse in Vancouver, was at the game, watching the game. First game she ever came to mind. And she jumped the glass and kind of like put me in the neck collar and got me to the hospital and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and so, so yeah, I was, in, I was in like a steel brace for six months. And um, yeah, and I, I was like, had the whole story of like, they didn't know if I'd ever play hockey again or any of that stuff. So, um, so yeah, that's, that was my experience in Vernon. <laughs> and, that, and was that your draft year as well? That happened, yeah. So, so yeah, so I, so I was, um, yeah, it was my draft year and, 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 you know, like you're visiting schools, you're planning to visit schools to go, go away to play, to kind of pick the school you want to go to for university. And um, yeah, and I ended up picking Bowling Green because they're the only school that talked to me before and after the injury. So like, there was a few schools that kind of lost your phone number after the injury happened. Right. And, and right. in fairness, I probably should have gone back and played junior again because I missed half a year. Um, but but like, I, I didn't know any better. I, I honestly thought that everyone went to school when they're 18. I just, I just assumed that you went to school, university when you're 18, but, but then I get there and you realize like, there's a lot of guys that play junior till they're 20, 21 and then go to university. And, and it's a, you know, it's, it's a very different, different being 21 in university and being 18, you know, especially you can drink in the U S if you're 21. And of course I didn't touch a drop for those first years <laughs> <of> university, <laughs> uh, but I, but I don't have any regrets as far as going to Bowling Green. It was, it was, probably the funnest four years of my life. I absolutely loved it. And we had a great group of guys and, and so much fun and obviously got my degree and everything. So going back to your draft, did you, did you go to the draft or was this? No, no I, was, I was literally like, I just, I just got out of the, the brace, the collar. Oh, like, right, yeah, yeah. Before that. Yeah. So um, no, I didn't go to the draft. I was kind of surprised I got drafted after that, to be honest with you, because you, your stock kind of sinks down when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I, I didn't go to the draft I didn't I didn't I, I always think like if you're going in the first round or two first two rounds but like I went in the sixth round that's a long wait that's like seven hour wait you know so um, so I, was, I, was that your uh, was that your projection around the sixth round or no I, I think would, was, you, would I, you have gone higher if, I think if higher. you didn't have the injury yeah I think I was I, I don't know I can't even remember how how high it was but I was having a really good year in Vernon um Let's say, let's say first or second round, yeah. <laughs> like top for, ten. for argument's sake, yeah. <laughs> no, no, Someone I, got I, a good I, pick in the seventh round, then. No, no, I, I certainly wouldn't have been like a, a, an NHL player, but I, but I probably would have got drafted higher if, if, it, if I hadn't been injured. But like, that's not an excuse. It's just kind of like the way shit, shit happens, you know. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, like it was. I mean, it was, it was funny because my kind of one of my my D partner from the year before, who is uh, he was a year older than me, but he went to he went to the WHL and we were sort of rivals, like friend, friendly rivals, but we were like, kind of like the two top defensemen on our team the year before I went 141 and he went 142 and he said, <laughs> and he went to the draft and he said, <laughs> the only thing worse than waiting for six rounds is hearing your name right before. walk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What did you major in? What did I major in? I actually yeah, away from in, hockey. What, what was the study side like? I majored in telecommunications, which is the, a fancy title for broadcasting. I have a broadcasting degree. Really? Yeah. So that's that's what I took. I actually, it, it's actually funny. Do you know, okay, so do you know what I started with? I started with drama, and, <laughs> and uh, 
my teammates basically said, you can't be in drama and be on the hockey team. <laughs> so, um, so I started in drama. I, I was going to go business, which is probably what I should have done. And it's funny because Bowling Green has like a really, really good sports management department. Right. And it was like the first year of sports management. And, and I remember like one of the guys going, Oh, if you, if you like sports and you're like, and you're interested in business, you should, you should go to the, the school of sports management. And I was like, sport management. <laughs> what a joke. Like, what is that? What am I going to do? Run a hockey team? Like what <laughs> how many jobs are in sports management? And like, you, you don't know, right? Like how, how would you know? Whereas drama, you know, that's very <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen how many movies there are? Yeah. Dallas <laughs> is on every day. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so I so I did a broadcasting degree, and I and I had like you know we did radio shows and we did TV shows in college, and yeah, it, it was good. It was it was fun. It's it's weird because there's if you're in college in the U.S. and you, you literally can take anything, anything. Like it's not it's not downplaying it, but like I mean, because this is what I always say about America. America has some of the greatest educational institutions in the world. It also has some of the worst. I would say Bowling Green falls right in the middle, you know, like it's, and, and it's funny because I had a chance to go to a school called Brown, right? Yeah. And, and how would I know never going to university that Brown was any good? Like I didn't know. And, <laughs> and I was too kind of proud to ask anyone, right? I should have probably said like, hey, dad, is Brown any good? Like I, I don't know. <laughs> these Brown guys are all over me. And, and I remember I got the application for Brown and I was like, I looked at it and it said like, the maximum we can give you is a three quarter scholarship. Like, cause like it, it's Ivy league and yeah. the Ivy league schools at the time, I don't know if it's still like this, but they could only give you three quarter scholarship. And I was like, I was like, well, that's kind of insulting. Like I, I want a full ride. Like, that's the thing. Like you're a student athlete, you want a full ride, you know? And so I, so I, yeah, so I turned on Brown and went to bowling. <laughs> uh, another solid, solid, uh, <laughs> You know, I've taken a lot of great advice over the years. <laughs> my college career. But, um, but yeah, I told Shauna, my wife, about that, uh, like, years later. I was like, she's like, did you ever look at other schools? I was like, well, I was going to go to Brown, but, like, and she's like, what? <laughs> I probably would have flunked out. Who knows? But um, but I always did pretty good in school and stuff. Like, I, I, I did good in school and high school and stuff. And when I was in Vernon, the, m- most of my team were older than me. Like, they were, like, 19, 20, and I was 17, right? So, they were all out of school and, and I was like, I'm, and, and I'm, I'm not joking around or I was like a complete straight shooter because I just thought I have to make sure I can't miss school. I have to make sure I graduate. I have to make sure I get good grades. And then, and then when I got injured and broke my back, the, the, the school board hired me a tutor. Like they, they just said, we're getting you a tutor so you can do all your classes from bed. So basically I was like lied up in bed and this guy I, I wish I could, I wish I could somehow meet up with this guy because he would come and he'd be like, all right, like, how's your math? And we do a bit of math. And then he's like, he'd be, he'd be like, okay, we got to read To Kill a Mockingbird or we can watch To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd be like, what do you want to do? Let's watch it. So we'd watch To Kill a Mockingbird and that's it. And then like, and we, he, he became like, he was, he wasn't like a young guy. He's probably like, probably like 25. Right. And I'm 17. 
Yeah. I think this, to this day, I think this guy is the greatest guy in the world. Because like, <laughs> BC education system, there's probably someone's going to get fired in the BC education system that, that watches this. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was hilarious. And, and I remember telling my parents, because my parents were like, we got to move you home to Calgary. Yeah. We can look after you. You can get a tutor here. You can graduate from here. We'll look after you. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm <laughs> just fine. <laughs> with, my with my tutor, my buddy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's how I, so I, I think I went back to school maybe in June, like I missed, I missed like four months, five months of school. And I, and I went back at the end, I graduated and, and did fine. So it's not a rip on the, the, bed, the education system in Canada. It's, it's pretty good. Can you remember no. his name? Oh, no. Uh, no. I, can't even, I, I can remember how good To Kill a Mockingbird was, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think that guy's job is safe anyway, because BC is one of the areas that the pod hasn't quite reached out yet to. we got a bit of a lack of coverage there, but we've got a, mar a marketing campaign for, for BC going out soon. So. Yeah, exactly. I just love that you haven't put together that was your love of drama right there. That second he said, should we watch To Kill a Mockingbird? That's where it all ignited. Yeah. How was your nickname Killer and not Hamlet? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, some good years then. Then I went to Bowling Green, four years, um, and just had a blast. Just, just you know, great experience hockey-wise. Um, played with some incredible players. Uh, you, know, my best friend from university, my my roommate for four years, ended up going to the NHL, and it kind of felt like. Kind of felt like we all made the NHL when he made the NHL because we were so happy for him. And um, his name's Mike Johnson. He's a broadcaster now. Mm -hmm. um, but but yeah, just to, just four of the funnest years. And, and, and guys that play junior in Canada, they can never understand how fun U.S. college is because I'm not saying it's like the movies necessarily. It's not like, I don't know what the movies would be. And it's, it's not like uh, Van Wilder or anything, but it's pretty damn close <laughs> sometimes. And it just... It, it's just the whole college lifestyle was fun and it was, it was great being a student athlete and, um, and they treat you really well. And, and, uh, and yeah, it was, it was, it was a fantastic experience. I stayed there for two summers and, uh, and graduated and, and yeah, loved it. Loved every second of it. What was the biggest lesson that you took hockey wise from your time in college? What did, what did it shape for you just before going pro? I think like, I mean, it's, it's always braced for a hit. What's that? Always braced for a hit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Keep your head up when you're coming out of the corner. Um, <laughs> no, it, 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 you know what it was? It was learning to play with, ner for, with nerves because like I, to this day, I don't think I'll ever play in bigger, in front of bigger crowds or well, I don't play anymore, but I never played in front of bigger crowds than in college. And like, and you know, like, you're, you're in a you're in a rink and there's 14,000 people and there's a marching band playing a song a huge song every time you get scored I always tell the story we were we were playing Michigan one time and this is Michigan when they were the best team in the country and um and we were getting crushed like I, I like we played Michigan when they were the best team in the country for four years and they won the national championship and played in the final game one year but like they were unbelievable some NHL superstars on that team and we beat them. So you think we play every team four times a year and you play there for four years. We played them 16 times. We beat them once. But um, this is not one of those stories when we beat them. We were, we were playing in Michigan and it was about 7-1 maybe, 7-2 maybe. And, and they scored again. And then you kind of heard this hum like, mm, 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 mm. 
and everyone's like, what, what, what's the crowd saying? And then they scored again and it got a little louder. Like, mm, uh. And then I turned to one of the guys, I'm like, what are they saying? They're like, they're saying pizza. And I'm like, why? And they're like, if they score 10 goals, every student gets a slice of pizza. And so then our, so then our, goal, <laughs> so then our goal becomes, please don't get scored on because they're going to go apeshit when they, <laughs> when they score. And they scored and it was something. I, I think we were as excited as the you know 9,000 Michigan students at the game. But um, yeah, college hockey is something special, man. I, it's, mm -hmm. it's unbelievable. And so I'm, I'm excited because Steve King's son, Carter, is just embarking on his college career. He's going to, he's going to one, of the best, one of the best schools, one of the best programs in the country in Denver University. And because of COVID, he actually got to go, at, go down half a year early. So he's down there now. He's played, I don't know, three or four games for them. But I'm excited for him because it's such a such an amazing experience. So, so you finish your college career, you're a draftee. Most people are probably going to think this guy's going to slug it out in the minors, and you end up in Bracknell. <laughs> it's such a when you look at it on, on paper, it seems like a weird decision. When did you get the call? Why did you make the decision? So, two funny stories about this. So. So basically, like back then, they, they had changed the rule. Like it used to be NHL camps would have 80 people at them, right? So if you're a draft pick, you're finishing school, you're probably going to go to, you can't go to a camp until you graduate or until you finish school, right? So um, so you kind of always thought like, oh, I'll get invited to camp. And then, you know, like, I don't know, probably like, I, I, I'm not one of those people that thinks, like had this glorious idea that, oh, I got kind of got screwed and I would have made it like, I could see, you can see the depth chart. You're like, okay, I'm not even close to making St. Louis. I'm not going to make their American league team because they've got, you know, four guys under contract. They've probably got two guys coming down, no chance. And so you think I'm going to go down, I'm going to be in the East coast league, like for, for sure. Right. And I just had no desire to really play in the East coast league. And um, so, so yeah, so I, I, I thought like, I don't know, maybe something will come up. Right. And, and like my buddy, Mike's getting calls from the, he's getting calls from Bobby Orr and all these agents <laughs> and, and uh, we're not getting the same calls, but, um, but, but I get a call from, uh, from the, the team just up the road, Toledo. Right. And, and I think, Oh, this is, this is great. And they're like, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited. Cause I'm like, well, it's, it's right up the road. Maybe I could play my girlfriend at the time was still going to Bowling Green. So I thought, no, maybe I'll stay here and play a year in Toledo. Um, and they said, yeah, great. Like, why don't you send, why don't you send some tapes up to us and, and we'll, and we'll have a, we'll have a listen and, and see how it goes. And I'm like, okay. And I get off the phone. I'm like, yeah. So they want me to send some tapes. And I'm like, but I'm sure they said we'll have a listen. Like, wh wh why, why do they will have a listen? I'm sure he meant though. I'm sure, I'm sure they meant we'll have a, we'll, like, why would he say listen? So, anyway, so, Drama. so I, I try to get a couple tapes together. Cause like, it's not, it's, it's 1997. It's not like we have game tapes lying around. It's not like now we're, oh, go on this, you know, go to YouTube and watch my highlights or something, right? So I, I, I see if I can get from one of the student, like, guys that do the stats. I get a couple games that I thought I played well, and I send them up there. Nothing, no, no calls. And then I get another call from this guy, and he's like, yeah, we never got those tapes. I'm like, oh, I, I sent you the tapes. He's like, no. And it turns out they were interested because <laughs> I had a sports because I was taking broadcasting, they wanted me to be the color guy. <laughs> so, so they weren't even interested in me playing hockey for them. I was going to be, and I was so mad. I was so insulted. Like, I'm like, screw this. So, 
So I went home to Canada and, uh, and I just got, a, I just got it. Like I graduated, I went and got a summer job and, um, and my summer job was working at this train, this, this training facility. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen them, friend. They have these skating treadmills, right? They're like artificial ice. Yeah. And at the time they were just coming out and I actually was one of the first guys that got trained on it and, and got like, got like licensed to be one of the trainers. And it was an unbelievable job. It was so fun. So I got to train all the NHL players and NHL prospects on these machines. Right. And part of that was I got to work out with the, with all these guys and we were working out this facility and that's where my job was. And at the same time, team Canada was running this like training camp. Right. And so a lot of guys that grad that played college hockey or junior, they got invited to this team Canada camp. And it just happened to be at the same place that I was working at. So, so, and I think a lot of people thought like, Oh, maybe, they kept seeing me around the rink and I, I think they thought that I was actually at the camp, but I wasn't, I was working at the fitness facility, like attached to the rink, but a few of my buddies were there and my coach from college was there. My assistant coach from college, um, this great guy who I still keep in touch with, he was there. And, um, and there's a few coaches from around the league, from different leagues, American leagues, the NHL leagues, scouts are there. And, and um, the coach from Bracknell's there. And, and you know, a really good guy who I quite like playing for. You might remember the name, Jim Fiorchuk, Franny yeah, yeah, yeah. and JD. You yeah. Remember, yeah. So Jim Fiorchuk is there. And, and my assistant coach from college tells a story like, yeah, like, you know, like we're every night, you know, you go for beers after, after, you know, with the other coaches and you get chatting and people are talking. And, and I, I'd been talking to my coach earlier in the day. And then, and then this guy, this guy, like uh, they're all out for beers or something. And someone said like, Oh, you know, who were you talking to earlier? And he's like, oh, Todd Kelman, he's, he's not at the camp. He's actually working at the fitness facility. Good kid, really good, you know, good kid for us. Great four years for us, worked really hard. Um, yeah, and he kind of is like, does anyone need a defenseman? And Jim Fjordczyk's like, yes. <laughs> and, and he said, it was kind of like, maybe Jim was saying it to fit in because like he was like the one coach from England when there was all these guys from the American League and the East Coast League and the NHL. And that's how I got the Bragdo. <laughs> no scouting, no video, not literally nothing, nothing. And uh, that's that's how I turned pro. And so I oh. generally, as I said to my parents, like I'm going to go across to to England. I'm going to play for one year, see how this is, and then uh, <laughs> and then call then then get a job, come back home, get a job, and you know I just want one year to myself to kind of travel around Europe, have some fun with my friends, and. Um, yeah, and one year turned into now, you know? So yeah. that's literally maybe, maybe Jim heard that if you didn't turn out as a D-man, you could always uh, do the commentary on the uh, Bees games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a, a no-brainer for him. <laughs> but those years in Bracknell, I mean, J.D., you probably got a question about Bracknell. I know. Well, I, I got one because you and I were talking the other day about something different. I was trying to sell you something, I think. Um, and, and you just graced over this like it was like a normal just something you dropped in and I said, Oh yeah, you come on the podcast. So we'll, we'll, we probably, you know, we'll skip away from the devil stuff and we'll ask you more about Bracknell. And you said a couple of things like, you know, playing for whistle and playing for Fury. And then he just went, yeah, I lived in a haunted house and then just moved on from the conversation. <laughs> uh, is, is that something you just dropped in? So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued about living in the haunted house. So, so anyone that's been to Bracknell, there's, there's a, there's this old mansion. And so uh, uh, let me describe to you. I arrive at Heathrow airport and, uh, and Dave Whistle's there to pick me up, right? Dave Whistle looks, I don't know, 48 at the time. <laughs> and, um, 
and Wiss, who, I mean, obviously we never brought him here, so we probably have a sour relationship, but Wiss, I love that guy. I love that guy as a teammate. So I play, that's how old I am. I played with Dave Whistle, right? So Wiss picks me up, takes me to Bracknell. We go to the, the rink, which I assume is the practice rink, right? Like I, there's rainbows on the wall. The dress rooms are ready. We're getting dressed in a, we're getting dressed in a log cabin that's attached to a ski hill. And I'm like, I was like, so, so where's the, where's the regular rink? Like this practice rink kind of sucks. Like where's the regular rink? No, this is, this is your rink. This is pro hockey. And I'm like, Oh my God. And I'm thinking, I just came from Bowling Green where our, we had stalls that were made of Oak. We had our own ping pong area. We had a, a lounge with TVs. We had our own gym. You, you don't, you don't have better facilities than in college. And, um, and I was like, wow, this sucks. Like, this is terrible. Right. And, and, um, but I loved it. Like it was so fun, but so anyway, so, so we, we practice it. So we get there the first day. Uh, we don't go on the ice. We get, we get keys to a car, the car, me and my roommate, Brian Greer, uh, who's a goalie, we get the keys to the car. We drive the car. It's a Toyota, which is owned by John Nike. They, they own the Toyota dealership too. We get that car maybe 120 yards up the road towards our hill or towards our house, right? They're like, your house is 500 yards up the road. Just drive up that road. We get 120 yards up there. It runs out of gas, right? <laughs> it's, it's out of gas. So we walk back to, we walk back to this, uh, the, the dealership. They give us another car that gets 10 yards past that car. <laughs> so then, then we go back to the dealership. They give us, a, like they get us a can of gas, of petrol. We put it in the first car and that is our car for the year. No one even looks at it. Like no one says like it might need repairs. That's our car for the year. And, and we share it. And we, so we get to our house and clearly someone had had a party at the year end party. Like imagine the year end party with a bunch of single guys and they lock the door on April 5th and they open the door on August 19th <laughs> and I'm not the one closing the door, but I'm certainly the one opening the door six months later or whatever. Right. And me and my roommate opened the door and I shit you not, we opened the door and a, it's like a movie, a pile of beer cans come pouring out the front door. And they told us the Bracknell management, complete liars. They told us, Oh yeah, the, the, it was professionally cleaned earlier today. And I'm like, professionally cleaned, right? So we are walking around the house and like, we don't even want to sit down. It's disgusting, right? Beds are disgusting. Couches gross. TVs slammed over. Like the place is destroyed. It looks like there've been squatters there the whole summer. Um, we go to open the, uh, the, the washing machine and clearly like the drain pipe has been gathering maggots and 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 bugs for four months we open it up it's black water it pours out black water pours out and covers the kitchen destroys the floor it's it's maggots and bugs it's disgusting so we go back and we're like we're like we can't live there it's a disaster and they're like oh is it really like we had a professional clean i'm like there's no way that was that wasn't even cleaned not even that wasn't cleaned by me like that was like the worst cleaner in the world has not cleaned that place. And they're like, no, no, we did. I'm like, well, there's no way you did. Right. So we take this lady up there and she, we show it to her. She's like, oh my goodness, this is embarrassing. Okay. Um, and, and he owns a hotel. He owns a five-star hotel right there. And we're like, we'll stay in the Coppet beach. They're like, no, you guys can't stay in the Coppet beach. So, so we're, we're literally, we're at practice and we're asking the guys like, what should we do? And some of the guys are like, go home. This is bullshit. They can't treat you like that. I'm like, no, I don't want to go home. I got, this is my only job. Right. And, and uh, so the trainer, a guy named Brian Miller, he invites us to stay at his house. So we think we're going to stay there for like three or four days. 
we ended up staying at his house for like a month, maybe six weeks, right? And finally, we're like, this is getting ridiculous. So, so we go to the house and we're like, you know what? We're not going to play tonight until they send the general manager up to the house to, to see how bad it is. So it's like two, three o'clock. The game's at six, gets to be like four. And everyone's calling the house number and they're like, you guys got to come. Like, what are you doing? And we're like, nope, send Martin up here. Send him up here. He's got to see this place. Well, he said he's not coming. He'll come tomorrow. Nope, we're not, we're not going anywhere. He's got to come tonight. So, so Brian Greer had this idea. I don't know what, this is ridiculous, but it's actually really funny. So we always had these huge horses that used to break down the fence behind our, this house. And they would come and they would literally like stick their head like right at the windows. So Greerzy says, what if when, when they come up here, we lure a horse into the house? And, and I'm like, what? And he goes, well, think about it. Think of how funny it would be if when they come in, they come in, they're like, no, it's not that bad. And then a horse trots by, right? And we're like, there's a fucking horse. Oh, sorry. There's a, there's a horse in the living room. And so, so, so Grizzy gets a handful of apples and he gets this horse halfway into the house, right? It gets, it gets caught. It's ass gets caught in, you know, like the, the porches, it's like door, slight bend door. So it gets caught in the, crashing around, it's crashing around and it gets stuck in the door. And we're like, oh my God, this door is going to smash apart, right? We've got a horse. And for us, the way, when, this is the, the legit version. When we told the story to the guys, we told them it was a Clyde's, like the hugest horse ever, right? But, but anyways, we, we try to get the horse in the living room. We can't get the horse in there. So we, we, we leave it out and the horse, but when they pull up, there are two horses on the front lawn eating the grass and there's maggots on the kitchen floor. The place is disgusting. And they, they finally agree. They're like, okay, we'll give you a budget. They don't, they don't say we'll fix it up for you. We'll give you a budget to fix it up, right? And Brian Greer, who's a really funny guy, we went and played the game. And then they, the guys after the game were like, we're having beers and they're like, what did they say? And they said, I said, they said they give us a budget. Like they give us enough money to get our own kitchen. So we actually had to get builders in to fix it. And Grizzy goes, they're going to rue the day they gave us a budget to, to fix that. Up. <laughs> and they did. So we, we put silver carpet throughout the whole thing. We built a, a dance room. We bought a disco ball. We found, a, we found an old couch that looked like a 1970s porn couch, like one of those white, white uh, curved couches. So we had a, a room dedicated to dancing in our house. There's only like six bedrooms, six bedrooms, two of us had bedrooms, and then the, the rest of us was huge. We put a, a cheap kitchen in, and ever so my room was uh, dragon's blood red. It's like a pinky red color. That was dragon's blood red. His was bright blue. Another room was black on the walls, and and we all silver carpet throughout the whole thing. It was gross, but it was insanely fun. And so what we did is we noticed that Bracknell didn't really have like a lot of bars, right? Like they had a couple pubs, but back then pubs closed at like 11. And so we would, we would run after hours after every game. Like, and I don't mean like once a month, like, I mean, every Sunday after every home game, we were the after hours bar to the point where we had a guy work the door <laughs> and take money. So, that for all the, so like on the day of a game, and I can't, I just imagine if Andrew Lord was my coach. <laughs> But we, um, on the day of the game, me and Grizzy used to go get garbage garbage bags full of uh, snow and put them in our bathtub and put the beer on ice so that the guys knew, like that was our job. That was, 
we should have been the captains. Our whole job with that team was besides playing hockey was we have to make sure that this team is entertained after the game. And I mean, we had parties that had three, 400 people at them and we were on a dead end street with no neighbors bar the, the horses, right. Who, who didn't come home, uh, didn't come to the parties, but um, yeah, we had some insane parties, but the place was haunted. hundred percent. It was haunted. We were told everywhere we went in town, we'd go to get like a TV license. They'd be like, what's your address? We'd be like San Lee farm. And they're like, you know, it's haunted. And we'd be like, you hear it once, and you're like, oh, that's funny. Then you hear it like literally 30 times and you're freaking out. So we never stayed by ourselves in that house. Like if, if he, if he met a girl and was staying at her house, I, I couldn't stay there. I would either sleep, like leave all the lights on and stay up all night or wait till he got home. Or like, we'd be like, I'd be like, you can't, you can't stay there. You have to come home. You, you generally cannot stay there. One of us has to be here. And and everyone that ever stayed there, we never told them it was haunted, but we had guys stay with us. And uh, a tough guy, there was a guy named Norm Dezane who lasted about three weeks with our team. He had to sleep on our couch for a week. We didn't tell him it was haunted. He stayed there one night and he was just like, something's wrong with that house. That place is, that place is haunted. Everyone I know that stayed there, it was horrible. But, but yeah, I bet, I bet the silver carpet and the disco ball are still there. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. And when we won the league there, my God, that part, that Stanley party, when we won the league, it was insane. Absolutely insane. But, so I, I wanted to ask you about that season because that season probably doesn't get talked about because in the Super League, you know, the Devils won it and the Devils were at the time expected to win it. The Steelers won it, the Storm won it and they were all expected to win it. The Bees weren't expected to win it. And, and that, that just must have been an incredible season. One of my favorites as a player, we should never have won it. Like, we're, like, we look back and we think, yeah, we were the best team, but like, man, that, it's insane that the Bracknell Bees won, won a, a league championship in the Super League when you're going up against, you know, some of the budgets of Manchester and, and uh, Sheffield and stuff. Like the coach of Manchester wouldn't come to games in Bracknell because they said we didn't belong in the same league as the Manchester Storm because he, he, literally, he would literally send his assistant coach that Kurt Klein endorser or whatever, yeah, yeah. Klein, yeah. he just wouldn't come. He just literally wouldn't come to the games. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I still think it's one of the craziest things that we won, that we won the league with that team. And, and it was, I honestly think it's because we were so close. Like we, and, and honestly, like we had, we had a handful of married guys. We had a, a mostly single guys and we were so tight, such like you, one guy would go to a movie, 15 guys would go to the movie. And those parties at San Lee is as ridiculous as they sound. Like everyone came everyone's wife came we we every sunday night everyone just knew like we went to new year's that was the millennium the, the single guys all went to london and we just gave the married guys our keys and and said you you have your you have your you have your your uh, millennium new year's party at our house and then we got home at three in the morning and joined in and like, like it was just it was just it was the tightest group i've ever had just great guys guys like denny chasse pc druin colin ward fantastic guys absolutely Ooh, it was a hard ring to play in as well because I remember officiating that because everyone was over the top and down and it was it really was Plus the I rainbows, love doing games those yeah. were pretty distracting hubs right like the rainbows were intimidating oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. all over the walls <laughs> easy to lose concentration in the blue yeah. lines yeah exactly <laughs> how much of that uh, success sorry you attribute to Dave Whistler now he, he did change around that organization when he became coach i think the best way to describe that is whistle i i don't know why i i can't describe why i've never had it with another coach i would have ran through a wall with no facial helmet 
protecting on for Dave Whistle. I can't describe, I don't know what it is. That guy makes you want to play hard for him. And systems wise, I wouldn't say we we're the best. Uh, he was a great recruiter because it's hard not to love that guy. It, it really, it, it really, it, it, it's one of the most, it's one of the heartbreaking things in this job that, that I, you know, like if not to get serious, but when we, when, when we took over the devils, I wish Wiss hadn't been the coach because it was a hard thing to tell the guy that coached me for six years of my career or five years and played with me for a year. Like I was good buddies with Wiss, like, and, and, but like you, you when you tell someone that he's not going to coach your hockey team, you're no longer really buddies, you know, but um, I love that guy. And uh, he, you, and that's why he had success. Like Franny, did you play for Wiss or? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Systems wise, like, I mean, I'm not saying he's a bad coach in systems wise, but I'm saying I played for coaches with better systems. I played for coaches with more organization. I don't know if I played for a coach that was a better recruiter or, or um, players wanted to go through a wall for him. Like we, those, we took the, the core of the team from Bracknell. We moved the basically eight of us or whatever went to Belfast. And, and that's why we won in Belfast two years later and three years later is because that, that mentality of wanting to go through a wall for Wiss is, is, the guys that came in that kind of bought into that were the ones that stuck around guys like Matzos, you know, like a guy like that, that just instantly loved Wiss. And it was like, I, I couldn't understand why you guys all talk about him. Like he's a God, but like, I just love him, you know? And, and yeah, he's, he's, I mean, he's a, he's a great guy. And that, that's why he had success. That's why he was. And I think it just got, it, it just probably the game passed him, passed him by a bit because he's, you know, guys come in that are, you know, more detailed and more video oriented and stuff. And, and Wiss was like a gut feel kind of guy. Like he, he coached on, on gut and intuition and, you know, screaming at refs and, and getting the most of the players. And, and I'm old school. So I like that, you know, like I used to say to us, like, if you need to yell at someone in the locker room, feel free. Cause he wasn't, he doesn't no, no one loves confrontation. No one, no coach loves having a yellow guy, but I was like, you can yell at me. Like if you need to call someone out and bitch or something like that, you can yell at me. But, um, I, yeah. he's one he's one of those that if he yelled you would genuinely feel bad wouldn't you because you know like you say he's such a good guy to play for um i, I think one of his big strengths was letting people actually play you yeah. know to their strengths and he, he had that trust in them that you know they could go out so he wasn't overly prescriptive and uh yeah he was a lot of fun to play for and yeah. I, I, I used to love him yelling at the refs too, especially when he had his false teeth and they used to come flying out and, and then you're just absolutely doing everything you can not to burst out laughing on the bench. You know what he did really well? It's probably like if you read a lot of leadership books and stuff like that, and I know, I know he didn't do it because he was like doing it from training or from reading up on it. He just had this way that he, he included everyone. He's a, he's a great listener. Like he, he listens to you very well and he's, and, and whether it's fake, but he takes an interest in ever. So like if you're in a room and say your wife's there and she's never been to a, a team event or anything, whistle spend half an hour talking to her and make her laugh. And you look over and all of a sudden they're drinking buddies. And like, he is such a good people person. Like I always thought that if he, if he was, he'd be a hell of a sales guy, you know, like just to, just to come and oh there's whist, tell a few stories, talk a few, you know, have a few laughs. He just, you just love him. And, and, uh, and he was really good at that. And, 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 you know, when he got better in, in, in Belfast and, you know, like you, he, him and his wife would have you and one other couple over for dinner, nothing crazy, just like, just no reason, not because he thinks you need it or he just every year he kind of rotate through the team and throughout the year, he just, and it could be, 
you might have just lost a big game. You might have just won a big game. And, and he's, he's like, no, we're, dinner's on Tuesday. You guys, you know, like you and the roughs are coming over. Okay. And you just did, right? And, and it, it, the guys had enough respect for him that it was never like, you never, you know, thought like, oh, he's my buddy and he's not my coach. But um, yeah, it was, he, he's, 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 he was good for this game. He really was. Oh, no, another one. Sorry, go on, Franny. I was going to say another one of your teammates on, on that Bracknell team was uh, Mark Bernard. Um, who's now with uh, Chicago? I still did, talk. Did, to, still talk yeah. to him once every two weeks. So, yeah, what a career he's made for himself. Did you see that in him when when he was a teammate? Um, I know we we sort of all joke about when he was in uh, Basingstoke and he'd be sort of doing the Zamboni before games, <laughs> to be coaching, and then he'd be the goalie. Um, you know, obviously a grafter. But did you see something in him that that was going that you knew he was going to go far in the game? The one thing I would say is Bernie was great, like back before, like it sounds ridiculous, back before the internet was big and people had cell or mobile phones, Bernie was great at networking. Like, like he stayed in touch with everyone in hockey. Like he, we'd be on a road trip and then, and like we'd have, be at a hotel and I'd be like, oh, who are you, who are you getting on the payphone with? And he'd be like, oh, I'm calling John Brophy, my old coach from Hampton Roads, just to catch up. And, and I'd be like, God, that's like, that's weird. But like, it's so smart. Cause like, when he gets a job, what does he call? He calls like one of his buddies that he played with five years ago. The guy hires him. Then that guy immediately like either moves to a different organization. His first job, he went from being like assistant general manager. The president left. He's the president. Like two weeks later, he's the president of Norfolk, right? In, in the American <laughs> Hockey League, like out of nowhere. And and he's done a tremendous job and he is a grafter. And that's what I love about Bernie. But like people don't know this. When we played in Bracknell, every Sunday night, Bernie drove to London and worked an overnight security guard for like 10 hours. Really? Wow. Every wow. Sunday night. And wow. we used to think like, you cheap mother. Because <laughs> 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 we're like, he's our starting goal. He's probably our highest paid guy. But like Bernie was always like, you got to remember the Canadian dollar at the time was like 2.5, right? So he'd get, I don't know, maybe get a hundred pounds cash. It was through some fan that gave him the job, right? And he'd be like, He'd be like, they need someone to do a Sunday night shift for their security. I literally have to go and sit there and basically fall asleep in a chair. And I wake up Monday. You guys have all been hung over because you're at a party at San Lee. I wake up, <laughs> I wake up at eight in the morning. I, I probably slept four hours instead of eight hours, but I don't really sleep after games. And I got 150 quid or whatever it is. That's Canadian. That's 350 or 375 at the time. He's like, that's my monthly mortgage payment at home, you know, for a Sunday night. And he did it, did it for two years that I was there with him. So I just thought he was cheap. I didn't really know he was a grafter, you know, <laughs> but yeah, I love Bernie. I, I still talk to him now and, and uh, uh, I really respect him. He's won three Stanley Cups with Chicago. And, and whenever I, I talk hockey and I need some advice, so he's one of the first guys I call. So. Sorry, Tal, I just wanted to ask you quickly because we're, we're deliberately steering away from asking you about Cardiff Devils as GM. Do, do you remember experiencing Cardiff as a player coming into the old Wales National Ice Rink and yeah. guys like Machulik and William and Mikey Ware and think what, what were your memories of Cardiff as a player? I think if I saw Ivan Matulik right now I might I might seriously still do this. <laughs> <laughs> we used to start those games when I was in Bracknell we would me and McCosh Shane McCosh is my D partner we'd we, like Wiss or whoever would come in and give you the starting lineup and we'd be like okay let's just get through these first two minutes like that's like it, it wasn't even like let's try to score in the first two minutes like Let's just weather the storm. Let's try to get these through, you know, let, let Matulik and McWilliam run around and, and 
run us for two minutes and then maybe they'll calm down a little and we can get playing this game. Cause like you'd line up and you'd be starting, you'd see like Matulik and you'd be like, this guy, like, like I, I, he was one of the first guys where I was like, what is he doing over here? Like go to the NHL, leave us alone. <laughs> you know? I just, was so good and so big and so strong. And like, he had that, like the, the next guy that I saw with like that barrel, that, like, you know, Blair Riley, when you see him like in the locker, yeah. just like, you know, like he's huge. He's just big all over. Like Matulik was like that. I was just like, my God, like go, go home, get out of here, get back to Edmonton or wherever you, wherever you were playing in the NHL, just leave, leave this league to us. <laughs> Hands like shovels as well. Yeah. I used and to I, dread, I used to dread the handshakes. Oh yeah. And, and uh, Mike Ware, same thing, like nightmares about that guy. I, I, I have a, uh, it wasn't when it was actually when I was in, in Belfast, but Shane, everyone thought me and Shane Johnson, because we like, I wore 44, Shane wore four. We were D partners. We, we both, we kind of looked the same on the ice and, and Johnny, Johnny stood up Mike Ware one time, like unbelievable. Like Mike Ware was coming across the room. This is in Belfast. So it's 7,000. It's our first year in Belfast. He stands up Mike Ware. I, I think where's he might've been in, might've been in London. And I can't even remember mm-hmm. yeah. Mike Ware. So Johnny stands him up, like, just like, hammers it hammers it and mike wears just like teetering like this right and 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 he falls like he's and, and like seven it's like the, a tower fell down seven thousand people like <laughs> oh and johnny hits him turns and tra- changes with me right so where looks up he <laughs> catches johnny out of the corner of his eye sees this like a four or something and then he probably shakes it off and he sees me in the corner with my basically standing like this with my head in the corner. And I got absolutely run from behind. Like it would, he'd be 20 game suspension right now. He probably doesn't remember. It was probably one of a thousand of those hits in, in that day. But, um, that's the first time I had a concussion. It just, I, I remember just KO'd out, out. Like just don't even remember what happened. And being back on the bench, couldn't remember my name. Played the rest of the game though. <laughs> solid, solid protocol right there yeah. solid fashion protocol and if I tell the story in like five minutes you'll know that there was no lasting effect no- <laughs> <laughs> so we rewind it a, a little bit to, to we you, you decide to go to Belfast um, was it that trust in, in WIST that, that made it easier for you because it's a startup organization at, you know, hockey at, at that level hasn't really been tested in that area. So I guess it is a little bit of a gamble. What, what were your, your thoughts and feelings moving to Belfast for the first time? So when, when hey, Wisp to Sorry, Belfast, Tom, can you tell the story as well about how you didn't answer the phone for six weeks? Wes or me? You, 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 you told me you didn't answer the phone for six oh, no, weeks. Yeah, no, I'm getting to that. Yeah, so, so basically what happened was when Wisp went to Belfast, I don't know if it was a league rule or an agreement with Bracknell. Basically, he could take, I think he could take two people with him, right? So he took Rob Stewart as his assistant coach, and he took Kevin Reel, who was our best player in Bracknell, right? Kevin Reel. And, uh, and that was it. The rest of us weren't going. And, and I, I saw Stewie was still in Bracknell. Like, he was back and forth between Bracknell and, and Belfast. And, and Wiss had told us, like, Belfast is unbelievable, I've been over there, checked it out. It's going to be unbelievable. The arena is going to be inc- in, insane. And, and Stewie told us about how he can't sign any of us. Like he, he's just not allowed to sign any of us. And, and Stewie's like, but Bracknell only has, it was like another four or five weeks before they have to make you an offer. 
And then if you call Wiss, well, technically he didn't call you. So I had this, I was in Calgary and I had a lock, like my, a rule at my house. I was like, I am never here. No matter who calls, I'm never here. So my parents would get a call and the poor guy, like I think it was Ennio Sacolato. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was calling and he was calling me and probably a few other players. And, and I had called Wardy, Colin Ward, like my best buddy and said like, don't answer the phone for like five weeks. I'll call you when you can call Wiss. And so, yeah, so I waited out and then I called Wiss and I was like, hey, Dave, I uh, haven't heard from Bracknell. So I'm just going to throw my name in the, in the, in the pod here. <laughs> Sign me like an hour later, then, then Wardy called. Hey, Dave, how's it going? I just haven't heard from Bracknell. So uh, I thought I'd throw my name in the, and so that's, so we all did that. And that's how we all got there. So um, Paxton, me, Johnny, like the core of the team, the, the, the core of like the heart and soul of that team from Bracknell bar Brian Greer, we all left and went to, uh, we all left and went to Belfast and man, did they boo us when we went back to Bracknell. And, um, and you know what, I gotta say, you know, you look back and you think, I used to always think like Bracknell treated us bad and, uh, and I was right. <laughs> they treated us bad. Uh, and, and I remember when I first went back to Bracknell, I did a, an article in the paper cause there was no real internet coverage then. And I, and I said, like, cause I was, I like, I mean, th that story about San Lee, it never got better. I never drove a better car or lived in a different house. I lived in that, that terrible haunted house for three years. I just, I just loved, I just loved it. I did it good. <laughs> but, but like, you know, it, it's one of those things where I, like, I remember saying when I first ran teams, I will never treat players like they treated me in Bracknell. Never, ever, ever. And I got treated like shit. And, uh, and we all did. And, and I said in the article, they're like, why did you, why did you all leave and go to Belfast? And I was like, you can only live in a haunted house and drive the worst car in the league for so many years. And that was literally the quote. <laughs> people booed us. And, and I mean, the people of Bracken were great. Like I, like, if I look back on fun years, like, like fun, fun years of like, you know, like, Franny, you have those years, like half your team single, you're going to London every Monday on pub crawls. It was so fun. Like you, it wasn't, and that's why it's shocking we won because like we, we played hard, but we had fun, you know, like literally every Monday we went to with the whole team, the whole team went to London on an all day pub crawl. And then we were always on the ice on Tuesday and um, sweating it out. And, uh, and, and, you know, by the time we were we on the weekend, we were, we were fine, but like, we never, we really basically drank Sunday and Monday nights and that was it. But, but yeah, like it was a fun, it was a fun year. And, and so I, I look back on Bracknell very fondly, but yeah, they, they couldn't have treated us worse. They didn't, they didn't give a shit about us at all. You know, like you are, you are just another employee there. And I, I, I have a tough time arguing with anyone that would try to tell me different, you know, even, and you know, and I, the, you know, John Nike is passed on now, but um, still doesn't mean that he treated us well. He, he wasn't, he wasn't good to us. When, when we, I'll give you an example. When we won the league, he brought in a bunch of empty champagne bottles, expensive champagne bottles, and we had to take a picture like he bought us expensive champagne. <laughs> we have a picture, this picture of all of us holding champagne balls, and they were all empty. And we never got any champagne. Wow. wow. So um, that's the kind of stuff. And, and yeah, we drove, a, we drove terrible cars and lived in terrible houses. So I'm not surprised that the Bracknell Bees were not in, this, uh, not in the league very long. So. Talk when you when you went to Belfast. Sorry, and, and I promised this is the last one, and you might not want to answer this, but uh, away from hockey, I'm always interested in the in the human side. 
did, did you kind of because you're a clued up guy did, did you realize it was a bigger project did you realize it was I guess pretty political over there or, or, or was it just hockey for you I knew it was political because my um my grandmother was from from Northern Ireland so um so I have an Irish passport actually so um and and uh my parents freaked out when I signed in Belfast like like my mom was crying. I think, I don't, I don't know if, if maybe I'm exaggerating that they freaked out, but they certainly were a little concerned because, you know, it was kind of the old country that no one really talked about. And, and I mean, growing up in Canada, you learn a lot about the troubles and you learn all about Northern Ireland. And, and, um, and it's, I mean, until you live over there, you cannot fully end. Like one thing I noticed about Northern Ireland is once you get out of there, like it, you're engrossed in it. You, you, you have to learn about it. It's such an important part of their culture. And, and I read so many books about the troubles and about, cause it's very interesting and, and you can experience it right then and there. You can, you, you want to know the pub that something happened in, you can go to that pub. You can drive down the, the peace line. You can, you know, these counties where things were happening. Like it's, it's really interesting, but like it's recent. And, and yeah, my parents were worried. I, I, the funny thing is like the, the guys that I, I, I played summer hockey with like loads of guys that played pro all over Europe. And um, my last day that, that I went, uh, they're all like, like, and I mean, these are guys, there's guys that played in the NHL. There's guys that played in the American league, Swiss league, all over the world. And uh, they're all, they're all kind of giggling. We're, we're playing like shinny pickup hockey. We, we do it three days a week for all of July kind of thing. And they're all like, Hey, we got you something. And I'm like, what? what? And like, you know, some of these guys, you think they don't even know my name. They're like, no, we got you something. We got you something. And there was this big present wrapped up. And, and what it was is, so I open it up and it's a hockey stick with a round mirror duct taped on it. And they're like, this, this is the check for bombs. Look your car. <laughs> and they thought it was the funny, I thought it was to this day, I think it's one of them. But, uh, but yeah, so, so, but, and, and you know, it's, you know, you, you hear like, oh, you're never gonna see that stuff. You're never gonna experience it. my first day. So the, the first year we were there, they kept us, they didn't want us living in Belfast. We lived in a town about 30 minutes outside of Belfast called Bangor. And, uh, and we went down to Bangor, like on the pier, like just to a local bar. And we went to like, you know, like it was like me, Shane Johnson, Corey Carlander, Colin Ward, a few of us, Packer maybe. And um, went to the bar, went home that night. The next day in the papers, the bouncers at that bar got in their car and there was a car bomb in it. And we were like, holy shit, this stuff is real. And like, the first time you see car, uh, you see the, the police cars in Northern Ireland when we first got there, they look like tanks. Like they've got, yeah. they are built like tanks. And 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 and, and to, you know, like thinking about this is this is two thousand, right? Like this is two. That's twenty one years ago. I was in Belfast, and and like they just, I mean, I would say, uh, you know, like as far as a place that's progressed over the last few years, like Belfast to me is one of the great, most best kept secrets in Europe, as far as like, like if I had the choice of saying, you, you want a great experience for Irish music, culture, pub crawl, skip Dublin, go to Belfast. It's 10 times better. I, I, I could work for the tourist board for Northern Ireland. I loved <laughs> I loved everything about it. I loved living there. I loved my, the, the setup I had there. I loved the giants. I loved the arena. My wife loved it there. Our kid was born there. Like. I would move back there in a heartbeat. I, I loved it. Loved, loved every bit about it and couldn't recommend it enough. And, and that's why 
the, the, the pub crawl, the, the double header we have in Belfast every year is so fun. We take all our sponsors there and, and I feel like I'm back in my town. And like, we had some, we had a lot of success there as a player and as a general manager. And, and honestly, I would have never left. I, I was very content there. It's a great place to live. And I think people don't realize how good it is. The people there don't realize how good it is because it's kind of like, you know, they're always kind of like, oh, they're, they, you know, no one really thinks about them. They think of in, in the UK, it's England first, then Scotland, then Wales, then somewhere down the line, it's Northern Ireland. And it's a great place to live. It really is. So how much do you think you talked about, you know, I've been 20 years and how progressive, you know, how much do you think the Giants did have an effect? Uh, you know, the tagline has always been in the land of the Giants, everyone is equal. Um, do, you, do you think it's had a, you know, a real positive effect on that area? I think, um, by the way, John, I do like living in Cardiff more. I know I just pumped the tires. <laughs> <laughs> just, just in case players are watching this, I do like Belfast more. Or, uh, I do like I generally do. And we could talk about that why and why, but uh, there's no point. But um, as far as an impact on the community, I don't think there's a team in the world that could have more of an impact on the community than Belfast Giants. And, and I know I'm not with them now, but you got to give them props for what they did for that. For like, I mean, mm-hmm. they, and I'm not saying they, you know, they mended the, the peace in Northern Ireland or anything, but like, man, that is, that, that was something it was, it was so like, it's, it's, it sounds cheesy, but you felt like you were a part of something bigger. You really did. Like, I mean, they, they did a good job of kind of like educating you on it. And the players we had, I think Wiss knew to recruit as, as much as he had to recruit good players, he had to recruit good talkers too. Cause we talked and we networked and we went to events and we, I mean, we went to an event, uh, me and Colin Ward went to the Belfast sports awards in like 2001 and uh, maybe two thousand. well, the first year might've been in January, 2001. And, um, and we went to, and this is my knowledge of sport, John, you'll, you'll hate me for this. And, and apologies to everyone in Northern Ireland, if you're watching this, we went to an event and, and there's all these celebrities, all these sports celebrities are there. And we see this lady walk by and me and Colin are like, oh my God, did you see that lady? Did you see how gorgeous she was? And one of the guys at our table goes, keep it quiet, keep it, keep it quiet, man. That's Alex Best, and I'm like, who's Alex Best? Like, that's George, that's George Best's wife, and I'm like, who's George Best? <laughs> to a table of Northern Ireland sports reporters, I say, who's George Best? Oh, to this day, it makes me cringe thinking that those. He's only got an airport named after him. Yeah, I got an education in in why George Best is the greatest player in the world. And, God forbid, like what a dumb thing to say, but, but, uh, but like we were signing autographs that night and, and at that event with guys like George Best and Tony McCoy and people were coming up to the Belfast Giants to get their autographs because they were just so shocked that there was hockey and like our first game, there was 7,000 people there watching our warm up because they had no clue what was going on. And, and there were events, like I remember being in an event where we, we, we got to the bar after Harp was our sponsor, Harp Logger, and we got to the bar after the game and there were so many students at the bar that the bouncers are like, look, we can lift you up on the crowd, but you're going to have to crowd surf to the stage. And, and <laughs> I'm 24, 25. I'm like, happy. Absolutely. Like lift me up, buddy. So there we are. And we, me and Jeff Hode are literally crowd surfing <laughs> over students, right? 
and he just he just goes he just looks over and he goes we're rock stars man we're rock stars. <laughs> wasn't there seven foot cutouts of paxton outside every pub in belfast pretty every much pub, i remember every those pub belfast, every pub in belfast had a cutout of pax uh yeah. paxton Schulte. they wanted us to call him the fridge paxton the fridge Schulte. and uh, <laughs> uh yeah it, we were everywhere we, we had these gold cards from harp where we could go to any pub and get a free pint literally like like a credit card uh wiss had a, a keg and as a keg and you know glass glasses in his garage and and the people in his neighborhood i don't i they, they did some jobs that people don't tell you they did in northern ireland for for security reasons they would be in his garage drinking beer after their shift was done and <laughs> and yeah we would pop by the garage and have a couple pints of harp with this sometimes he was like he was running a, a bar it was it was hilarious and They'd, they'd back up the harp truck once a month and they'd back up and give you four cases of harp. And um, yeah, it was, it was, it was like that for three years and then and reality set in and realized that they'd spent all their money and lost all their money. And mm. that's, you know, that was kind of the demise of the super league, but. Um, so, yeah, we were, Todd, go, going back to the TV interviews and stuff, what, what was the, uh, the interview you told me about one time with the song lyrics? Oh, we met Lionel Richie. And uh, <laughs> we tried. To, we, Lionel Richie was on the show with us, so me and Colin Ward were in the green room. And we were like, Let's try to get as many Lionel Richie songs into the conversation as possible. And 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 Wardy's like, okay, what what can we get? Like dancing on the ceiling, like you know, once, twice, three times, a lady. And I was like, I got it. So we met him, and I just went, hello, and <laughs> and he walked out. <laughs> <laughs> No, we had yeah. It was funny. We used to get we used to get paid for TV appearances then. Uh, like we'd go on go on like these talk shows, and then they'd be like, "Can you just uh, send us your information?" And we get like two hundred pounds to be on TV. So like you do like a a BBC interview, and you get two hundred pounds. Those days are long gone. That doesn't happen anymore. But um, yeah, it was, it was it was crazy. I'd say the first the first year when we used to go out to do games, fair play to the organisation. They used to pick us up from the airport. They they put us out in the black. Uh, remember the black cap tours and stuff like that so even there's like an official going over you still get all the history you'd get the gold cards going using the pubs after games and stuff we were royally looked after over there it was amazing it was a great and, that, and that's why us as the visiting team never got any calls yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's why you always get them at home franny well, yeah. teams, teams love coming to Belfast because it was like a, it was the only road trip where you stayed in a hotel pretty much, you know. Yeah. And for us, like, and, we stayed in hotels every weekend. It, it got ridiculous. Like our travel was terrible, but um, but totally. I, I remember when we played. You used to play a lot of midweek games, didn't you? Because maybe the arena was booked on the weekend, so yeah. it'd be a midweek game, and obviously you're not flying back till the next day. So that meant an automatic team night out, no game the next day. And yeah. I remember when Wiss was our coach actually in Cardiff and uh, it was me, Jonna, Phil Hill. And uh, he said, I think we may have been playing on the Thursday and then we got a game on a Saturday. So he doesn't want to get us too boozed up. So he's like, whatever you do, do not get in at three in the morning. So we're out in Belfast and we're having the time of our lives. And then we find another book. The bar's normally shut quite early, but then we find like maybe it was Thompson's Garage or somewhere else. And uh, we go in there and it goes to two o'clock. And then it's coming near three o'clock. And we're like, 
boys were said, do not come in at three o'clock. So we're going to have to stay out a bit longer. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that was us. We stayed out the whole night then and then uh, got straight on the plane, I think. Uh, oh, no, and actually we had practice the next day. And uh, Wiss called off practice after about five minutes because it was a write-off. And uh, we said, Wiss, you just said, don't come in at three o'clock. And we didn't. We're following your instructions. <laughs> but, but, you know, on the hockey side of things, it was, you know, like two, two of the best teams I ever played on. Um, the second and third year in Belfast, the, the the year we won the league, I think we clinched by January and then we, we clinched in Bracknell actually. And then the third year when we won the playoffs, that was by Stevie Thornton came from London that year. Um, that's probably why I'm such good buddies with Thornton, but that was a hell of a team too. A lot, a lot of fun. Like that, the Super League was, I mean, it was incredible hockey. It really was. We went to Europe that year. We beat Davos um, in the, in the, what was it called back then? The Europa or the, the Europa Connell Cup. Connell Cup. Cup. Yeah. When I was looking back at the rosters earlier, time, one one thing that like blew my mind on that is I forgot how small the rosters were on those uh, Super League teams. Like the year that you had, the year that you were the league champions in 0102, you had 5D, 10 forwards, not just like to end the seat, but that was the whole year. Not one player up, not one player, you know. And that's, and it's crazy because like, and that's it. It's crazy to think of that because yeah, like we had, we played five, I think my whole professional career, we played five D defense. And and I, if there was a sixth defenseman, I'd be like, this sucks. It's like, we have no ice time. And now, and maybe this, maybe it's fast. It is faster now, but like, I just, I, I don't know. I just, I was always a guy that loved being on the ice. So, and, and yeah, you'd, you'd play, you'd dress 10 forwards, like nine or 10 forwards. And, mm-hmm. And if there were injuries, I, I actually don't even, I, I assume we just like, I think we just went down to four defense and then played nine forwards. Like we always had nine forwards. Like the year and the next year we uh, Sheffield had gone four lines. And so we had, we actually had 11 forwards and 60 or no, we had, we had 10 forwards and 60 and then we changed it to 11 forwards and 5D because we needed to kind of go four lines and, and, and especially in the European games. But um, yeah, it's crazy to think of that. You know, you look at some of the team pictures and you're like, there's four guys missing, you know, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, some, some, ama- I, it's one of the things like, I'm very, very proud to have been a Belfast giant, like to play for the Belfast giants. I know they're our big rival now and probably, probably because, you know, I left there to come here and stuff, but you know, I, I was very proud to play for him and I was very proud to get to, to run the team. It was a lot of fun. Um, I was going to say, Todd, the fact that you were there for year one, I, I always think there's something special if you're there at year one, no matter what it was. I mean, in, in my job away from hockey, I, I came in to, to my company when they just started the department. And that was special because it was something that had never been done before. And that must have been really special being part of the very first year of Belfast Giants. Yeah, it is. And it's cool to talk back about, like, to, to remember back, like, we always, you know, like, I see Mark Cavillan, I saw him two years ago, hadn't seen him in probably 15 years. And we go right back, like, you just have so many good memories with guys you play with. But that first year in Belfast, like, it was, you really, you really, like, it was insane, the stuff, like, I don't know if any team's ever done more promotions than that, you know, like, it, we did so many promotions, we did a bus tour, we got booed by the people of Belfast, we did a bus tour, we hadn't even won a game yet, and they had us doing a bus tour before the first home game which was in December, we'd lost like 12 games on the road. People were booing us like, go home, you washed up Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, oh, they kind of got us tagged there. So. <laughs> <laughs>
Franny, enough of the nice stuff, though. Are you, are you going to finally call Todd out about uh, costing us the lead title and the Tyler Michelle incident? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, since we're moving on to him as a GM. So you take over as a GM 2000 and, was it 2007, midway through the season? I don't count that one because I was still playing. So yeah, still playing, and then but that must have been that before like, we get. We are going to get into the Tyler Michelle bit, but um, <laughs> yeah, no. So my first, my first year's gym, they they literally called me. So real quick one because John, I don't want to take up too much time because I know you're sick of this. But no. the way I got it, the, the way I got into being the general manager is my, after the Super League folded, I came back and I needed a job besides hockey because I was like, I cannot come back for like half the money. And so Rob Stewart and his wife helped me get a job. I, I worked as a printing salesman while I played hockey. So I literally was a sales manager for a printing company in Belfast while I played hockey. And I did this for like two and a half years. And going into the third year, um, the, the owner who I knew, but I didn't really know that well, Jim Gillespie, called me up and asked me to come to his house. And I was freaking out because I was like, he's pissed, man. He's, he knows I've got a job. My printing job makes far more money than my hockey job. I'd started a magazine on the side because they didn't have a program in Belfast. So I was like, I work in a printing company. I'll just start a program. And I, so I bought the rights to sell a program off of the Belfast Giants. And I paid them 10 grand for that. And then I sold all the sponsorship in the magazine. And then I also started selling sponsorship because I, I kind of knew everyone in town from the printing job. So I started selling <laughs> And so then, and then the local radio station asked me if I wanted to do a radio show. So I was like, sure. And I just thought it was for fun. And then like, you know, they, they're like, uh, how much do you charge? And I'm like, oh, and I kind of threw out a number and they're like, okay. So then I had a radio job, a printing job, a magazine publishing business. And I was, and I was playing hockey. So I thought they are pissed. They figured it out that I'm, I'm making far too much, uh, like more than I'm playing hockey. So I generally thought he was like, calling to fire me because he was like you can't do that and um and yeah he basically said like i like that you're doing all this stuff and do you want to run the team and so and i was like well no I, i'm still playing it's only october and he's like well we can we can find another defenseman and i was like well why don't i why don't i play out the year could you know could i have a testimonial it's my 10 years pro can i have a testimonial and the testimonials where i tried all the crazy shit that we did in belfast for the first time giving away pizzas ridiculous stuff in the crowds because up to that point we hadn't really done any of that stuff so yeah so that's how and was that and was that the flurry year then no flurry was flurry was my flurry was the next year oh no no flurry was that year yeah flurry was flurry was the year before flurry was the year before yeah. i was, 05, 06, I was only was, working uh... printing salesman and i wasn't a general manager so <laughs> flurry thought it was the funniest thing Cause like I wore a suit to practice cause I had to go on sales. <laughs> and he's like, why are you wearing a suit? And I'm like, I actually sell printing. Like I'm a salesman. And he goes, he la like, he's like, Oh my God, the defense when I passed on the power play sells printing for a living. And he, <laughs> and he sees Graham Walton working at the rink. Right. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, what have I come into here? So, yeah. <laughs> How weird was it on that first day when, Theo Fury walks through the door and he's in your locker room and he's now your teammate and you're still the 14-year-old kid watching him win the Stanley Cup in Calgary. I called him Mr. Flurry first day. It's like, hey, man, <laughs> uh, you're, you're literally my favorite. I, 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 was, I could not even sleep the night before. And <laughs> I, I was so, and the guys knew because like they knew he was my favorite player and I was just like, 
I, I was like, I don't know how to do this. I, I don't know if I can even play on this team with this guy. Like, I love this guy so much. And, and like, you know, when he was going through all the troubles with drink and, and drugs, I was, I was team flurry the whole way. I'm like, it's not his fault. He's in New York. It's there. Why would they trade him New York? Why would they sign in New York? And I love that guy. My parents love that guy, everyone. And, um, and I just went, I was like, Hey, Mr. Flurry. Uh, and he's like, you're going to have to call me Theo or something. You can't call me Mr. Flurry. <laughs> and so first couple of road trips, like he came to us. I'll, I'll never, Jason Ruff, who's a really funny guy. He was still on the team and he left halfway through the year, but after the, after the first or second practice, he, he, uh, Theo asked for a meeting with the captains. And I think it was, I think it was like me, Shane Johnson, Jason Ruff and Georgia water or something like that. Right. And he pulls us into the little side room in Belfast. He's like, Hey, I, I want to talk to you guys. And he's like, listen, can my, fi my fiance is going to, he didn't say can, he said, my fiance is going to have to come on the road with us because you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on the, like, I'm just recovering and I need her there because I need a support network around me. So I don't fall off the wagon. And we're like, yeah, no problem. Like whatever we can do, whatever, you know, we'll be there for you. Whatever. If you need her there, she can come on every, so she came on every road trip, but there's, here's the kicker. He goes, you know, I've been sober for, I've been sober for nearly a week now. And we're like, okay. And then he walks out and Jason Ruff goes a week. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? it had been like six months the owners told us it'd been like six months and so rough's like so today's friday so basically he had a bender on saturday night got on the plane sunday goes up here monday so he just he just hasn't drank in this week really right like like a week and um and yeah and, and to in fairness to flurry great teammate didn't didn't get in any didn't touch drink didn't do like he he He's the only human. I, I told him when he left, I was like, you know what? You're going to go down in history as the only human to move to Ireland to sober up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. And, and great guy, great teammate, uh, you know, bought us all drinks when we went on the road, like came to the bar, didn't drink, just hung out with the team, told stories. And we, we were all nervous about asking him about stories. Right. And because, like, if I have a story about Neil Francis and Andrew Lord, he's got a story about Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier. His stories are way better than my stories. And, and um, he, uh, yeah, like, it was the first road trip or something. We were all kind of, like, talking. We should ask him. We should ask. So, finally, we were like, hey, Theo, any chance of some stories? And he's just like, I'll tell you them all. You, you did, and he would hold court after games. He would, he would be drinking a, a Fanta orange. And we'd all have pints, which was actually nice because, like, it's probably tough to see us all drinking, right? But, like, he would just drink Fanta and he would hold court and tell us stories. And 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 we kind of – we all agreed sideline from Theo. We all said, like, one of us always stays back with him. Like, one of us – if we all go to the bar, we rotate. One one of us always stay back with him and his fiance until they go to bed because he's a great teammate. One of us always – so on the road, you know, maybe – we're in Edinburgh and everyone goes out and I'm staying with them. And maybe the next week, Curtis Huffy's staying with them. And then the next week, Jason Ruff, but we, we kind of rotated to just to make sure that he was okay. And, and he was great, great teammate, great guy. What are your memories of that crazy game against Cardiff where it's a sellout rink and Theo and Ed Courtney maybe uh, lost their head a little bit with Nigel Boniface and you didn't clinch the league in front of the sellout crowd and maybe the, <laughs> Bill for sticks went up a little bit towards the end of the year. So maybe the the producer can edit in a clip of Ed Courtney throwing the sticks. Here. I've got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, the problem we had with that is we 
we were ahead of ourselves. We, we were already planning the celebration because even if we lost it, like it was inevitable, we could have lost every game. We had to get one point or something, but we were sure we were going to win that midweek sell out. Like you don't sell out a midweek game that in back then, right? We took an extra seats as well at the, at the bar. I can remember, I think so. And, and it just went wrong right from the start. Like Cardiff scored two right away. I got thrown. People forget Flurry got thrown out. Ed Courtney got thrown out. I got thrown out too because I was losing my I was the third to get thrown out. I lost my mind on Bonnie Face. Lost my mind on him. And and I, I told I called him everything in the book, told him exactly what I thought. Um, I, to this day, I think Nigel Boniface was the worst ref we ever had. Um, <laughs> Nigel Boniface, side note from this, I don't think it was after that game. One time, it might have been a few years before that, Boniface had a typical bad game in Belfast and he showed up at the bar that we all like our team bar and uh and he was at the bar I could see him like through the crowd I could see his face and he kind of gives me the like that you know and I'm like and I go and talk to the doorman I'm like can you please go get that guy in a suit and escort him and his friends out of the bar and (laughs) literally went and grabbed him and the other two officials and just took them straight out of the bar I'm so hoping the other official was helped. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might have been Hicksy. Yeah, it might have been Hicksy. Hicksy and, um, Hicksy and Bonnie did lots of uh, games back then. But um, uh, let's, let's, just, let's just say there was when, when the allocations came out and you saw who so the referee were, who your referee was, then um, some you looked forward to, some you didn't look forward to because you'd end up having a busier night than you should have. Nigel might have been on that second list. <laughs> and, but yeah, so like we screwed up and it was embarrassing and Ed lost his rag and threw sticks and gloves and helmets on the, on the ice and Flurry lost his mind. And then they got suspended for like five games each or something. And, and like, we couldn't win then. Like, I hate to say it, we like think of the lineup. We, they were our top two scorers, top two in the league, our best two players, our coach and I remember it was so embarrassing. Like we, we would be sitting there and be like me and Georgia Wada trying to, trying to convince the team that we can beat. And like, we're going into Basingstoke and we need like a point, a tie in Basingstoke. And, and Ed and them are up in the corner watching us. And like, you're, you're like, you could just see them like shaking their head at how bad we were without them. It was just like, <laughs> and I think we lost like four in a row. And then, and then, then the, the last place Edinburgh Capitals beat like Newcastle in Newcastle or something like that. So we won the league because we like we had six chances or four chances to win it. We lost them all. We won the league on a Sunday night because the Edinburgh Capitals beat the Newcastle Vipers and we got a point or they 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 could mathematically not catch us anymore. And back then like there was like a IH update website, you know like a really crappy website and we you were just all refreshing. And it was very, <laughs> it was unreliable because some nights, like you'd have the score like two one for Edinburgh, then it was two one Newcastle, then it was two one. Like it, it, they kept getting wrong, and so then it stopped, and then it went no more updates, and we're all calling each other like, did they win or did they lose? I don't know. I, I last time I saw it was two one Edinburgh. Last time I saw it was two one Newcastle. <laughs> we're trying to figure out, and then finally someone called the rink manager in Edinburgh wherever the game was, and like what what was the final score, and they told us. And then we, then like, we had to ring, we didn't have cell phone, like, we had to ring around and we called everyone, we're like, meet at the bar in half an hour. We just won the league. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and Flurry came and, and bought everyone drinks and we celebrated and he didn't touch it. He just sat there and, and him and his girlfriend sat there and, and partied with us. And 
And yeah, and it's it's funny because like as every like imagine you've won the league and you're waiting for your 15 or 16 teammates to come through the door, and you're just every time someone comes through the door, it's, you're recelebrating, right? Like ah, because <laughs> they come the door and it was it was a lot of fun, but like a terrible way to win it, terrible. Way to win it. Um, I think we we were just playing to get a night out. If we won in Belfast, yeah. we were having a good night out in a midweek, <laughs> and uh, that's what that was. That's what we were playing for. Did it mean something to you, Todd, when Fleury went back? And yeah, I know it was symbolic, but the fact he got to finish as a flame was that was that a nice touch? Yeah, yeah. So, and and I'll never forget he did a great interview because he he went back. I mean, it was three or four years later that he was actually back with the Flames. It wasn't the next year; it was maybe two years later. And they took him, and they and he got in sick shape. He worked out all summer, and he was playing exhibition games. And his last game, they. Uh, they went into a shootout and it was sold out in the, in, in the saddle dome and Fleury got to be the last shooter and he scored and he, and he won the game. And it was, they described it like it was game seven Stanley cup playoffs, <laughs> but it was an exhibition game. It was sold out because Fleury is that popular. Like he was so popular in Calgary. And, and after the game, I remember watching the press conference and I mean, this is preseason. No one, no one even cares about preseason. And they interviewed and they said, is it tough? Because like they, I think after the game they said like Theron Fleury is going to be you know cut from the squad and 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 um, and they said Theron is it is it tough that that you know you're you you didn't you didn't make it back like you know this long road and everything you did and fought alcoholism is it tough that you didn't make it back and his response was great he was just like what are you talking about I just scored the overtime winner I just scored the <laughs> and and I just thought that's the best like if you know him that's him right like yeah. what are you talking about? I just scored. I, I I made it back. I just did all that work. What do you mean? I oh, you did all that work for nothing? No. I, what do you mean? I just scored. I just scored the the shootout winner, and and that was it. That was that was him done. And I think it was it was great. I think like I thought maybe someone would have taken him for PR purely because and because he's that good on the power play. And I thought the Flames might have done it, but because they weren't that good that year. But I think it might have been a huge distraction too because he's so, he was so it was probably like Michael Jordan going back to the Washington Wizards years after Chicago. You know? <laughs> so Todd, after all, you know, you, you're ending your, your time on the ice in Belfast. Did it, was there any second thoughts? I mean, you were pretty young in, in sort of British hockey terms to, to, to end that, that career there. I know, I think we joked a few years ago when Ashley Tate was still playing, <laughs> that he, he was older than you and uh, you were up in the stands and you had been for some time. So what was... You know, was, were you comfortable not playing anymore? Yeah, I mean, it, I'm one of those guys that, like, you know, my friends at home would always say this. Like, I love hockey. Like, it, it is my favorite thing in the world. Like, if if I had a chance to, and this is what kept me on the straight and narrow pretty much my whole life. I was never a guy that thought, like, I'm going to skip out on curfew to, you know, I, I, I want to skip out on curfew because I want to go to the party on the weekend. And my coach said, be home at midnight and I'm coming home at two in the morning for on a Friday night and we have a game Saturday. Like I, I was so straight and narrow because hockey and like, it, and if people said like, what's your dream day? I'd be like, wake up, call my buddies, go play pickup hockey, go home, you know, maybe watch a game. Like I love it. And I love playing it. It was my favorite thing to do. And, but I also, my dream for when I finished hockey was to get into management. I never wanted to coach. Like I know a lot of people want to coach, but I always wanted to kind of run the business side of things and, and be involved in the hockey. But, but I had a plan and, and my plan was like, I, I was quite open about it. Like I was, I was planning to go to Sheffield the, the next year and do my MBA. Um, I talked to Matt Sos about it. 
Um, I was like, I, I have to get my MBA. Like I, I need to get an MBA because that's the only way I'm going to get into management. And at the time Belfast didn't have this. And, and so we, I talked to him, I was like, I'll finish this year here. Then I'll come to Sheffield for one or two years, finish, you know, get my MBA, finish in Sheffield, then I'll get into management somehow. And, and then I got the call to, to run the team in Belfast. And, and like, that was our plan, mine and my wife's plan. And, and she said, what about going to Sheffield? And I'm like, well, I'm just skipping over the next two years. And, and, or maybe it was five years. Maybe I would have played another five years. I don't know, because I was always under the impression to play till my legs fell off, you know, cause I loved it. But, um, but when the job comes up, you can't really say no, you know, and, and, and to get to run the Belfast Giants, the team that you played for from day one, like it was, it was, it was a great scenario. And then, and the only tough part was they didn't tell you how much they were losing until, until you signed the contract. <laughs> <laughs> and then you found out the real, the real numbers. And, and I mean, but yeah, it was, it was, it was great. And I think uh, I have no regrets about it. I, I think I, I got to play and, you know, I, I won a league by, my last full season of playing pretty much. And, um, and, and yeah, I, I think everyone always wishes they got to play a little longer because I loved it so much, but um, yeah, it, I, I mean, I, I was very lucky. I, I, I never had that adjustment period of trying to find something else. You know, I guess I did when the super league folded the summer before I came back to play in the elite league for three months and I had to get a job in Calgary and I hated it. And uh and then I came back and worked as a printing salesman. But even when I was a printing salesman in Belfast, I was still a hockey player that sold printing. <laughs> I wasn't just a printing salesman. And, um, but like, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I've had other job opportunities and, and to maybe move into the business side of hockey, just business side. But I love being involved in the playing side. And I'm not, I'm not nearly as involved as Franny is or ever as much. You know, I got a lot of credit for, recruitment that I never did I, I I was minorly involved in a few players but I love talking hockey I love being in on decisions uh me and Franny and Lordo could talk for hours about players it never gets old um I love catching up with JD about old NHL days and stuff it's 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 just my passion like I I, I wake up every morning I watch the NHL highlights every single morning of my life I watch the NHL highlights and and I either tape games like I'm I'm obsessed with hockey and so if you get to work in the job that you're obsessed with and like, I never wanted to take a hockey job where they're like, you, you get known, you can sell the sponsorship and, but you, you can't, you can't be involved in the hockey side of like, eh, I don't want that, you know? And, and, and that's the beauty of like working in sport. Like I always say, like, you know, like if you could be an accountant or you could be an accountant that works for a hockey team, or if you could be, you know, you could be a business manager or you could be a business manager that works for a hockey team every Saturday or Sunday, night you get to you get to stand back and watch your team win or compete like there's nothing like it and and so I get to be like yeah everyone bugs me because I'm on the microphone or I'm doing this or that kind of probably because I'm a bit of a control freak but um <laughs> I'll show you the sign the staff well this is from Fee I don't know if you can read it that's my sign that Fee giving up it says I can be flexible as long as everything is exactly the way I want it I'm totally flexible so, <laughs> <laughs> it's work for me. They, they know how I am but but like I, you know, like I found my calling, like, I, I think anything that I was okay at, I think I was an average hockey player that got probably a little bit more time than he should have deserved because he liked it so much. But I think that I've done better things off the ice than, than I ever did on the ice. And, and I like in Belfast, I felt so responsible for that organization when, when I was running it, I felt like I couldn't let this fail. And I mean, it was, 
no one would ever know how close it was to failing in Belfast for a lot of years. And uh, good people held it together. I had great staff there. And, and then I came here and like, I always say like, I love Belfast. They're, like coming to Cardiff, it, it, it got, people love hockey here. And, and like, that's, that, that's what I love about this place is like, I am surrounded by people that like hockey as much as I do. And, and I didn't have that in Belfast. You know, like, I, I gotta be honest with you. Um, there's people that liked it, but like, they don't, they don't love it. And the fans like it. There's some that are very passionate. They were still, when I was there, they were still learning the game, a lot of them. Right. And, and, um, and there's some very knowledgeable people in hockey in, in Belfast now, but like, I think there's a lot of fans in Cardiff that have been watching hockey for 30 years, 35 years. That's a long time. And they're passionate and they love it. And, um, you know, the fan base here is what attracted us to us. Like it's, it's Franny did a good job selling it to us, but like, man, when you could watch and look at this organization, think they are in the, they are in, if you think of ebbs and flows of a franchise, you couldn't have been lower. Absolutely. We, we got to take over this great storied franchise at the lowest point in its history, I would say, wouldn't you say Franny lowest yep. point in history? 100%, yeah. And, and that's a great time to take something over. I can't, thank the guys the owners that uh that supported this and i can't thank franny enough for like making the call and it wasn't he wasn't calling to get me there he was calling to get someone else out <laughs> <laughs> but it just uh it was the right time for me and, and for steve and them and and would you ever have thought franny and i know we've never really like we've never really talked about it that detailed like maybe over a few beers after we win something but would you have ever imagined it would go this well no it, it was when I was having those conversations and it was as a friend, you know, we'd, we'd met a number of times, uh, probably through Sam's and, uh, you know, and then got to know each other. And it was, yeah, it was calling for a bit of advice. And, you know, when you said that time, well, I know someone that wants to buy a team, but um, thing is that they, they'll want me to run it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is just perfect. This is because I think at first, maybe you thought that I wanted to take over a team or whatever. But, you know, it was it was literally I knew that this this club needed um, new ownership to, to get us back to where we belong. And uh, when you uttered those words, yeah, I, I know someone, I was like, well, where are they? Get them, go get them now, you know? And yeah, but, they, but they're going to want me to come with them. And I'm like, and <laughs> would you? <laughs> and you are like, well, actually, I, I wouldn't mind trying something new. And it was, uh, you know, you came over a few times and you had a look around and I mean, the, some things are written in the stars, aren't they? And the timing for the new arena, you know, I think it was even a good thing that the arena wasn't ready. And we had those rustic years in the, in the BBT, you know, where you're sitting in a porter cabin out the back of the, in the car park. And, uh, you know, all, all the stories that we've told about ice tubs made out of uh, big dustbins and, and all those things. I think it was that, you know, that, that year, that first year was special. We, we've spoken about it with um, guys like Wally and, you know, bringing that great group of guys. And, you know, there's a theme that's running through the whole thing. Speaking to Vez about that, that first year that the Devils won the Super League um, and the group of guys and the bond that they all had and how it translates on the ice. Same thing the first year that you guys took over. We had that, that team with just special, special people. And, uh, you know, we've been lucky enough to, to carry that on. But, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy how, how a couple of phone calls and um, I always thought that I was maybe bugging you a bit when I kept on ringing and uh, saying, yeah, about, about those friends of yours that you said might be interested. Any news on them yet? But uh, no, sure enough. Probably because I hadn't told my wife we were moving to Cardiff yet. 
Yeah, that's why you, that's why you yeah, beat all the that, with me. That's, that's crazy talk, Freddie. Let me, let me <laughs> <laughs> and I and I, I do remember that that when I'm thinking that this is all done deal over the line. He's like, okay, I'm going to have to come over this weekend. Um, and, and before I do, um, I got to tell my wife that uh, that we're coming across. <laughs> and I was like, he hasn't told his wife yet. This is all going to go wrong. But uh, but no, it was funny about that. I, I came across and um, and I asked Paul Reagan and like and and I I know some people might have beef with him, but I I certainly don't really have any beef with him. And uh, I but I asked him. I was like, can you recommend a hotel that I can stay at, like a good hotel? I'm bringing my wife to kind of convince her to come across. And you know what he told me? The future in. <laughs> and I am not, I am not like, I, I, when my house wasn't ready, I had to stay at the future in a lot of nights. I'm not ripping on the future in. But you think, like, if you're trying to impress your wife to make the car to the Hilton, the, the Hill, uh, like Celtic Manor. Exactly. Future in. And uh, yeah, we got to the future in and, and we, it couldn't have gone worse. We, we got there. <laughs> Um, we got we got upstairs. Someone had obviously like recently been using the bathroom and forgot to they forgot to clean it like the hotel did. It couldn't have gone worse. So we oh, horses in the room and yeah, <laughs> Brian Greer had been living there for the last six yeah. months. Yeah. We were we didn't even stay the night at the future room. We moved to the Marriott and then and then she went home a day early. So we were there for like two days and then she was like, "I'm going home. This is terrible. I, I'm 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 going home. Taking my kid and going home." And um, so then I stayed here and I'm like, well, this is a bit of a conundrum. So Sean is moving here in like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. So, but she 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 loves it. You want to talk to someone that that loves Cardiff? She she liked Belfast. She loves Cardiff. Absolutely loves Cardiff. And and um and yeah, so do I. My kids love it. And it's 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 very different. But it's uh, you know like I'm I'm grateful that Franny spent so much time with me. He showed me where, you know, he basically made me live in Penarth, which I love. I, <laughs> um, I was going to say, is it Penarth or Cardiff? Didn't even give me an option. Didn't even give me an option to yeah. look around. Um, and uh, yeah, I loved it. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been crazy. And like we, you know, it's amazing that I talked for two hours about this and I haven't even brought up, you know, one of my closest friends and one of the best things about this place was, was, uh, well, we'll talk about the owners to finish, but Andrew Lord, like, what a move by Franny to talk about, like, I had no idea who Andrew Lord was. And um, thank, all, well, I did, all I knew was I was recruiting him to Belfast. Remember, I almost had him sign. Yeah. Thank God he didn't sign in Belfast. Um, but like, I mean, he's in Greenville. He won't, he won't, well, I don't know if he'll have the time to listen to this, but I mean, it's, it's been such a special ride and, and to be, you know, to, for good people like that, guys, you know, like, well, everyone on this call I've become friends with, but like having Franny there, uh, it's such a it's such a great story like if you ever wish like do you remember the bbc called me like three summers ago or something like we want to do a fly on the wall documentary about your team and they actually called me three different times it wasn't bbc it was like a production company they called me before our third season right remember that was the first league we won and they said you're now you know you know we we came to your last game it was a product i can't remember the name of the production company um we, we came to your last game and we wanted to do a documentary starting all season. So we want to follow you to how you sign players, bringing the guys in that whole year. Do you imagine if they did that? That was the first year we won the league. And then we won the playoffs the, year, the next year. Like, could you imagine if they'd actually done it? And now, and now they call every summer and I'm like, you're missing out, man. We keep winning. You keep missing these <laughs> series. But, um, but yeah, Lordo's done a tremendous job. And, and then, you know, I know you're not asking questions about it, but like 
the whole ownership setup. I, I do not think, I think our fans get it. I don't think anyone can fathom the setup we have. And because you ask the league, ask the fans around the league, like I, they just give me a blank checkbook and we lose hundreds of thousands every year. And that's not the case, but we have great ownership that I'm sure, you know, we haven't had to ask them for money, but if we had to ask them for money, they would put in the money, but that's not the point of, we have, we have great guys that own a hockey team for the right reasons. And it's never like, how can we scrimp and save? How can we save a bit of money on sticks or accommodate? It's, are the players happy? Are they, is everyone taken care of? Is how, how's the setup? Is, are, do, is this the best place to play in the league? Are the, you know, does everyone want to play there? That's the kind of thing. Are we getting, you know, are we successful? What do we need? What do you need more staff in the office? What, what could you do to get better? Like these guys are good people and, and, and they're great guys to, to, to work on, to do, be doing this with, but it's so fun. Like it is, it's ridiculous. Like think of some of the memories we have, like Franny, think of the pub crawls around Europe. We've yeah. done. <laughs> some of the CHL trips, like those are memories that you will like, you like, like think of Graz. Think of that experience in Graz with the, with the team, with beating. Remember that? Call him, call him Wally from the, from the pub and basically coming up with Wally nights after Wally probably about 12 night. beers. Flying Marty to Marty in because he was injured, and I was like, "We got to fly Marty in just to just for the pregame talk to get the the boys excited." Yeah, and he dressed up as a as the the whatever it was a Viking or whatever the Viking helmet <laughs> and runs in the dressing room. But yeah, like I remember but, looking at Riley's face when we did that. Riley was laughing like like a little kid, like he was killing himself, and he just thought it was the funniest thing that we flew in Marty to get the team pumped up. You know, not yeah. the best. Not the best, uh, you know, not the best resources, <laughs> pay, but it was, you know, 150 quid that was totally worth it, I think. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, you're right. It is it is so cool having, uh, you know, four owners that are as big a fans of the Devils as, as people that are in the stands and who come and sit in the stands. They don't want to sit in the hospitality box. They want to sit in the, in the stands with the fans. They want to go on the fan bus to the away trips. They have their hockey shirts on, you know, new shirt every year and, and they'll have it on from the moment they arrive in Cardiff to, to the moment they leave. And, you know, to get, uh, you know, to find four people um, that are successful but are such so ingrained into the club in such a, you know, relatively short space of time is just, it's unheard of. And it's just, you know, we're so, so lucky to have that. And again, like I say, when, when the stars aligned in the timing that, you know, maybe you were looking for something different in Belfast and um, where the Devils were at the time at rock bottom and the arena on the horizon and having, you know, four guys like that that, that were willing to come in and uh, and underwrite it, you know, to, to at least get us going. And, uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things that the club deserved it and it's, yeah, the stars aligned that uh, when all that came came through. You know what's funny about that? I always, I always think of Stephen Bryan because, like, you know, me and Lordo would be like, we talk hockey a lot with these guys. Like, these guys have big businesses that they're supposed to be running. <laughs> We're bugging them for like a conference call about players and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, this is like a year or two ago. And I was like, like to Brian and Steve. And I was like, listen, I, I, I don't want to bug you guys all the time. Like, are, are you guys okay with us? Like calling you to talk about the devil, the devils all the time. And they're like, Oh, this, this is nothing. Like we talk between us. We, we talk like three, four times a day about that. <laughs> <laughs> Like Harkins, and Kelly, like they are constantly talking about the devils. Like it's like, like 
I remember talking to their staff and their staff would be like, they'll bring, they'll bring up like the score in a board meeting, you know, like we're having a serious board meeting and Steve would be like, Oh, the devils are up three, two. And like, it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Great. You know? So get a question. Who's scared to have a proper Zorb football rematch though without cheating? Oh my God. I, that's still, <laughs> that still scares me. Like <laughs> who did Parker hit? Was it, was it Alan? Me? Was it you? Yeah. Oh my God! We haven't seen Alex since. Is he alive? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're still trying to get him out of the zone. <laughs> I remember when that finished. Franny said, "Is your knee okay?" I said, I, "I don't know what you mean." And he said, "When you landed, I thought your ACL had like I thought oh, like, you like, buckled." Yeah. <laughs> remember, I couldn't feel a thing. Alan had like Alan had like ice scrapes. <laughs> Yeah. Hugs, if you could find my goal, though, because it was the best goal ever in the history of the <laughs> yeah, yeah, We have a video of it, and it's Sharon, like Brian's wife, just going, Brian! Yeah. <laughs> Leave alone! Leave alone! Yeah. <laughs> they now like proper ice shoes and the whole oh, yeah. sort of thing. Like, oh, yeah. we, we they totally there. cheated. They totally cheated. <laughs> anyway, not that I did, I remember sitting the laptop in the change room and seeing Alid coming flying over the net. You're like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's like one of those cartoons, like a bar fight yeah. cartoon, just limbs everywhere. It's ridiculous. Paul Reagan to the purple. I remember trying to commentate as well, and I was just totally out of breath. And it was like something going on. I, I tried to talk into the mic, and I was like, I'm done. I'm gassed. Give me a water. Yeah. Uh, we've, been, we've been spoiled for fun that's for sure and it's it's always fun winning and we've done a lot of that and and you know like it you know i'm sure there's i'm sure there's organizations around the league that have have their own special stories of, of how much fun it is there and stuff and you know like I, I like i said i came from one great organization to to another great organization so i've been very lucky for that but yeah it's been it's been a hell of a ride these last you know until the covid season um, it's been very special, and I think we would have won that league the, the, in 2019-20 season if, if COVID hadn't cancelled it. But, but yeah, we'll, we're moving forward, and, and I know like there's probably a lot of fans watching if they've stuck it out this long or listened this long, and, and I hope they have. But like, um, you know, one thing I would say is is 2021-22 season. I think um, it's it's a wake up call for sports internationally all across the world, and then you know, for us as, as well, you, you realize you've, you've taken a step back and realized if you ever thought fans were important and everyone does times it by a thousand, like you realize when there's no fans in the building, how important fans are. And, and, you know, like the passion that I talked to you about, like my days of watching the flames or meeting Scott Stevens or, or, you know, waiting for autographs after games, like every kid in the stands feels that. And, and our players understand that, but like they get it but they're going to get it a whole lot more. They are going to understand the value of fans and, and our fan base is going to understand how much we appreciate them because, you know, you always say, we, you know, we wouldn't survive. We wouldn't be here without the fans, but like we, we wouldn't be here without the fans. And that's, that's the truth. That's why we're not here this year. <laughs> you know, like it, it's, it's very evident. And I think, uh, I hope our fans come back in droves the way, the way they have. I hope they, uh, they remember that, you know, the, the passion that I have for hockey, I hope they bring it and, and remind, remember why they love it. And I think we all do. And I think we're all kind of sitting sitting and waiting for this to, to get over and, and get on with the world, you know? Yeah, and I think those listeners that have listened to the Jared Scaldi interview that we did, um, you know, reading the feedback around that, it was really strong that, uh, 
you can see why we picked him because he's a hockey first guy, very, very passionate about the game. Um, one of the things he talked to us about in the interview, Todd, wasn't it? About he loves the grind of the longer seasons. That's, you know, he talked in, in our podcast as well about when he went over to, to Europe, it wasn't as many games and all that. And he loves the grind. He loves being up till, you know, silly o'clock in the morning, cutting video ready for the next day. Um, and I think, um, you know, it was always going to be so hard to replace Lordo, who, you know, was our first ever coach of the new era. Um, I think it's, in, in some ways, it, it's handy that we've had this kind of reset year, uh, that we're not going straight from Lordo into, into Scaldi. Um, but, you know, it, it's, like the, it's like the start of the next era, I feel. And um, I'm really excited to to get him over here and uh, and see what he can do and um, you know keep our success moving along and uh, and take us to the next level. I totally agree. And you know what? I just want to bring up one thing about the Scaldi Scaldi interview. I really got chirped about the the, the whole interview process. You guys are really all over me. <laughs> <laughs> about the lengthy like about the lengthy interview process. Like, Scaldi Scaldi feels comfortable enough to chirp me about it. You guys are yeah. Chirping me about it. <laughs> Randy was in on Car Franny, who's involved in all of it. Like it, it was long, but it was like, yeah. it was fun though. Like it was. Tell, tell are, we, are we allowed to talk around the the fourth round of the interview? What you did for that? Sure, I don't even remember the fourth round. What did I do? <laughs> who, who you got? Who you got to interview? Which wasn't Scaldi. Who did you get to talk to that wasn't Scaldi? Buddy. Yeah. Let <laughs> <laughs> you know. I got it in my phone. I got it as Scaldi's buddy. Uh, um, he, I still talk to him. I still uh, <laughs> uh, Scaldi Ronnie Ronnie Scaldi, Scaldi's buddy Ronnie. So I asked. I asked. I was, I was actually funny that Scaldi didn't bring it up. So so yeah, I was going into round four, I think, and I asked Scaldi for and like he was our guy. Like honestly, probably from the first interview. Remember Franny after we got yeah. like, we didn't we didn't really know him, and then we got the interview. We're like wow, this guy's blow us away. But, but yeah, I, I asked him after like the fourth round, I was like, Hey, yeah, you know, everything's, everything's checking out your, your reference are checking out. I'm just going to need, and I asked him for like, I'm just going to need like the guy, a couple guys that you worked with in this organization, maybe a reference from Cincinnati and uh, just your best friend. He's like, Oh no, my best friend, my best friend doesn't like work in hockey. I'm like, no, I'm totally fine with it. I need your best friend. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, like you've got a best friend that doesn't play hockey that you still hang out with and have beers with. He's like, yeah. I'm like, that's who I want to talk to. And he laughed. Scaldi laughed. He's like, all right. All right. You can talk to Ronnie. <laughs> so, so I called Ronnie and we had a great chat and he, I think Ronnie loved it. Like I, like imagine, you know, you don't get a lot of calls about like, if you're not in hockey about like a reference on a hockey guy. And we talked and we'd like, I was like, what kind of guys? And like, and I said to Scaldi after, I was like, you don't want Ronnie just giving you a reference. Like, you want Ronnie reading your eulogy. <laughs> there's there isn't a guy alive. I want Ronnie to talk to you guys about me when I leave the card. <laughs> like, Ronnie gave the best description of Scaldi, and like he he basically was like he like he made him out to be like the, literally the greatest human being alive. And I, and I loved it. And then, so I told Scully about it. And then Scully's like, 
you know, if I get this job, Ronnie's going to take all the credit for it. <laughs> like on, on, on Scaldi's birthday, I got a pick, I got a text from Ronnie and he was, or I, first of all, I text Ronnie on his birthday. And then I got a text from Ronnie on Scaldi's birthday and he sent me a picture of him in a, and he's got a devil's hoodie on. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's coming over for sure. Yeah. So I'm, we're having Ronnie night. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Guys, I'm tapping out. I'm done. And we didn't even cover the Bruins coming over. Ah, that's, hey, that's that's episode two. That's yeah. yeah. Much, like, much like my interview process, this ran a lot longer than I <laughs> Hey, but you'll be glad. You'll be glad. Trust me. You, you gotta be thorough. You got it's I, I can see why some coaches why some teams have revolving doors. You, if you don't do a lot of interviews, you, you, I mean think of think of the first round, Franny. There were some guys that we thought would have been the guy, and we didn't even get him past the first interview. So were there a lot of names that, without naming names, Todd, how, how prominent are the Devils now, albeit, okay, still a minor league hockey team, but, but were there a lot of credible names who wanted the job? Yeah, yeah, lots. There was, there, was, there was, I mean, if we gave you the list and people recruited by CVs, there was, there was some ones that you would have been shocked that you know, maybe we didn't get it further than we did, but like... Yeah. It, and there, there, was some, there was some that we actually scratched off because we felt that they were too high, highly qualified for the job because it was, you know, it, it would have been too short a term thing for them, wouldn't it? And we wanted somebody for the long term. And, uh, you know, but th those are the kind of guys throwing their, their names in the hat. But also, got, like, like, we're a different structure than a lot of teams, right? Like, we, a lot of the guys, you know, we, one of the parts of the interview process was cutting video and showing that they knew how to cut video. And like, there's some guys that like, you know, and it's nothing against them, but there's coaches that coach at very high levels who have video coaches. And, and we explain like, if you, if you don't cut your own video, it's probably not the right job for you because you don't have a video coach here. And, and yeah, like a great qualified coach might not fit into this because maybe they, you know, like, are you going to be able to cut video for till two in the morning after a Saturday game for a Sunday game, you know? So there's all those factors. And, and, and that's why, you know, that's why we got the guy. That's why we got the right guy. So, so there we have it. Our conversation with Cardiff Devils manager director Todd Kelman, who was uh, very gracious enough to spend a, a few hours talking about all of the things um, that shaped his hockey life. And boy, oh boy, can that guy tell a good story. I really, really want to get some sort of, I know he knows them. So maybe a location, location, location for the haunted house. Yeah, you see the silver carpet still there. The best the, the best on of kebab van in the whole league was in Bracknell, about four hundred <laughs> yards from Bracknell. I reckon he didn't mention it once. <laughs> but I, I really, that's the first thing I want to do as soon as we get uh, travel restrictions lifted is yeah. is go on a, a drive down to San Sangli Farm and uh, and check <laughs> Find out the horses. Find the horses, see if the disco ball's still there, and uh, yeah, go to the dancing room. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that those parties over the three years probably exercised any <laughs> poltergeist that was lurking in that farm. <laughs> I think but, the, the safe to say, I think that's uh, episode one of possibly two, three, or possibly four before <laughs> we get to the. Uh, if we ever did the GM stuff with the Devils, um, I'm 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 sure there's many many stories and uh, still to come from Todd. Yeah, I, I've I've spent many a, a night where we've had 
you know, beers after games or Belfast trips where you know, you end up naturally in these kind of conversations and funny stories. So I thought I would have heard all his stories, but, you know, I, I think there was only a couple that I'd heard before and there was uh, a lot of new ones in there. So, yeah, Todd, Todd is, uh, has had a, an amazing career and, uh, and lots of fun times along the way. And uh, it was really, really good to get those stories out there tonight. I'll have to watch the episode back. I must admit, I stopped listening halfway through. Um... <laughs> no, 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 John. Come on now. No, be friends again. Be friends. Be friends. Um, talk, we got, we got talk, two bits of housekeeping, talk. haven't we, before we um, wrap up the show tonight. Uh, so it's, Franny has made the most exciting discovery of all time, but how do you want to um, uh, talk about a, a good cause that's going on and a, and a guy who... Um, you know, we know from the hockey, Gareth Gardner, he's, uh, I'll forgive him, he's a Nottingham Forest fan, but he's generally <laughs> a very good folk, a very talented cricketer, and uh, he was speaking to you, and uh, we'd like to give reference to a, a little cause he's doing. Yeah, Gareth is, uh, knows a, a Devils fan, um, so JD knows him, he's known to quite a few of the, the Devils fan base. Um, unfortunately, he lost a friend, Peter Edwards, who's uh, another Devils fan, Um passed away recently been on dialysis for a, a long time and Gareth wanted to do something in lockdown in his memory so he set um he set himself a task to walk around um it's run by a company called end to end so it's like when these uh, challenges where over the course of the year you, you basically walk what would be the le- the length of Wales like coast to coast um start from Chatso following it around the coast and all the way back down again um, he's done 320 miles since the 3rd of January um, this year, and he's trying to get ahead of the game um, before, obviously, lockdown finishes. On, on the walking path, he would be just past Milford Haven in West Wales. Um, he's trying to raise £3,000. Um, he's about a third of the way there at the moment. So um, it's a huge, huge effort for a great cause, and we'll put the details out on Twitter We'll put the link on the YouTube video and stuff. So um, it's a great effort, great, great thing he's doing, and um, wish him all the best in his fundraising. Here, here, indeed. Stick tap to Gareth. Then we'll, uh, we'll put all of the details on how you can uh, pull these endeavours on all social media and the uh, best select room for the uh, the rest of the uh, challenge. I'm sure you'll smash it. But there's there's something yeah, he's done special. Miles and he's- yeah, he's done only four, almost 400 miles and he's only halfway through the Todd Kalman episode. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Franny, like, I tip my hat to you. you. You, This is like being CSI devils for the last two and a bit years. I don't know since we've been doing the podcast. So, um, take take it away. This, for, for anyone who's listened to all our episodes, there's a a running theme and, and, and you've sold the, sold the mystery of a lifetime. Yeah. It's been a big week. I've, <laughs> I've got him. I've got him. And regular listeners will know the hymn that I'm talking about is the one, the only, the legendary one punch. So I don't know why I didn't <laughs> think of this before, but Every good sports team needs a good statistician, and we have a good statistician. We've got Mark Finn. So I reached out to Mark Finn. I said, can you tell me what players we had playing during that first Super League year? Friendly games, everything. 
And he sent me over a list of players. And as soon as I saw it, it was second name down. The one below him was Glenn Anderson. I just, just put him in that company. <laughs> but the guy, yeah, so the top one was uh, Marcus Fubenko. And the second one down, and as soon as I saw him, that is our guy. One punch is unveiled as Grant Morrow. Dun, 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 dun. So I want to also tell you that Grant Morrow is from Vancouver. And when I looked up uh, Ken Priestley, he <laughs> is also he is from Richmond in BC and the distance between Richmond and uh, and where Grant Morrow lives is um, 9.6 miles so well, you, cannot, you cannot tell me that this story where Ken Priestley <laughs> skates with One Punch now known as Grant Morrow we're going to use his proper name uh, is made up it's not it's true <laughs> we found him on we found him on hockey db six foot six 190 pounds um he spent some time with north battleford north stars but uh we found him and not only that but i've tracked him down on facebook and live on the show i know this is going to be backwards ad friend there it is Friend request <laughs> gone across to Grant Morrow. So we'll update that in another edition to see whether I got accepted or to see whether I got iced. And he's actually a listener of the show and uh, he's pretty pissed off at me. I mean, that's the, the, I just, I can't put into words how happy I am that we finally put this mystery to bed. But the second yeah. challenge now has to be getting him on the pod to talk to everybody's memories of Brett. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it, 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 could be a sh- be. it could be it could be a short episode, <laughs> which did span two games That's right, and, we need one. and maybe one shift. But, but maybe um, we just do a collection so we get one punch, Beavis, Cannonball, mm. Disco Stew, <laughs> Cannonball. Ronnie, Ronnie's on the board now. He's he's another one of the, the characters. He just yeah. made his debut in this episode. But Ronnie, we get one all the characters in in one eyed Lee. What? 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 All of it. Yes. Just keep an eye on them. <laughs> yeah. And if anyone knows one eyed Al, then <laughs> send them our way. I just think we do that ultimate episode of all of my favorite people that I've met via yeah. your stories. <laughs> I do not forget um, a man in, uh, in Hungary as well. Um, the no, interpreter. Disco Stew, wasn't it? Was Disco no, Stew, no, wasn't it? no. No, Disco Stew is the equipment manager. Oh. Um, oh. The, the guy in Hungary was... Oh the guy gosh. who was recovering alcoholic and you... Yeah, yeah, the, the, on, on, uh, yeah the, we got on the Unicom. Um, yeah, he'll, he'll come yeah, back to me. I forgot his name. He's one of my, my favourite people. Yeah, that's what Unicom does to you. <laughs> <Don't> you <know? laughs> anyway. Well, I'm, I have to go back and listen to the uh, the preseason episode now because that's where he made his debut. Bless him. Yeah. Um, who knows where he is? I bet you can't find him on Facebook. Yeah, bet you can. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week to see if <laughs> Franny can find the recovering alcoholic from Hungary. 
uh, guys, it's been uh, another great episode. Uh, it's um, got some momentum at the moment. We've been checking out guests and episodes like no one's business, and each one of them has been uh, totally unique in their own way. Um, so I guess we uh, get our heads together and find out who's next to come uh, behind the bench. Well, that just leaves me, Gareth Hewish, on behalf of Mr. John Donovan. Uh, thank you, James. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Mr. Neil Francis. Thanks all. Another another good one in the can there. Indeed. To say uh, good evening. And uh, as always, producer Herbs, you get the uh, very fine job of hitting play on Brass Bonanza. <laughs>